Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for another epic debate. So, what we're going to have today is a tag team debate on whether or not there is sufficient evidence to believe in God. So, this is going to be a lot of fun, folks. We have two seasoned teams here of debaters and so this is going to be a great time want to let you know i've linked all of our speakers in the description box so that way if you're listening and you're like "Hmm, i like that you can hear plenty more where that came from and we are very excited to let you know as well just a quick couple of channel announcements first if it's your first time here consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more debates to come so for example we are very excited we have coming later this month Jonathan Sheffield and Richard Carrier will be, will be debating on the resurrection. So that should be a lot of fun and also want to let you know. In addition, for today's debate, if you have any questions, feel free to fire those questions into the old live chat. And if you tag me with at Modern Day Debate, it'll make it easier for me to be sure I get every single question in that question and answer list. Super Chat is also an option. We would just ask that you be your regular friendly selves during that, as we really appreciate all of these speakers being here. And so if you'd be willing to give them their, your kindest respect, or at least uh, the minimal level, at least, uh, come on, work with me here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have open conversation immediately after the opening statements, which from each side as a team will be about 15 to 20 minutes if they need it. And so roughly eight minutes per person. Also want to let you know, in terms of channel announcements, very excited. We have a lot of people have asked, they've said, hey, would you be willing to have audio of the debates? We are definitely actually right now as a Patreon reward, we are going to start putting every debate in an MP3 format which will be on Patreon for those who are supporting. And we really, so if you're already signed up, those will be posted today. We really appreciate it. And all of the debates will still be public. Like they'll still be free here on YouTube. But if you'd like the audio version, so if you want to listen to it while you commute or whatever else, that's something that we are going to put out on Patreon. And we really appreciate those of you who have already been supporting us. So with that, we are going to jump into this. Really appreciate all of our speakers for being here with us today. And we are having the affirmative go first. So Dr. Randall Rouser and Samuel Nassan, thanks so much. The floor is all yours. Well, uh, thanks a lot. So on behalf of Sam and myself, I am Randall. Uh, I'd like to thank, first of all, Tom and Matt for agreeing to this debate and to Modern Day Debate for hosting it. Now, the subject of the debate is this question, are there sufficient reasons to believe in God? For the purposes of this debate, Sam and I will work with the following general definition of God. Belief in the existence of a transcendent, perfectly good being who is the cause of nature or creation. Further, human flourishing is based at least in part in right relationship with that transcendent being. Thus, when we discuss the rationality of belief in God, it is to that definition that we refer. Now, one can define rational belief both in negative terms and in positive terms. Negatively, a rational belief is a belief the holding of which violates no epistemic duties. For Matt and Tom to establish their thesis or the denial 
of this debate resolution with respect to this standard, the negative standard, they would have to establish that belief in God as defined above always violates a specific epistemic duty that in turn would require them to explain which duty it violates and why. I'll wait for them to make that case. Positively, irrational belief is any belief that is either properly non-basic or properly basic. A properly non-basic belief is a belief that is rational and justified as the valid conclusion to a reasoning process. Think by analogy of a mathematical theorem. A, a properly basic belief is a belief that is rational and justified if formed in the right circumstances independent of a reasoning process. Think by analogy of a mathematical axiom, a starting point for reasoning. Uh, it is not clear that, or it is clear that not all beliefs could be properly non-basic because if every belief could only be justified as the conclusion of a reasoning process of supportive premises, then those premises in turn would have to be supported by prior premises and you would immediately fall into an infinite regress, an ad infinitum list of justifications for any belief. And that would result in skepticism that you could believe nothing at all rationally. Consequently, there must be properly basic beliefs as starting point for reasoning. Now, properly basic beliefs come in many types. Here is a partial list. Number one, there are no married bachelors. That is an analytic belief. Two, seven plus five equals 12. That's a synthetic a priori belief. Three, it is raining outside. That is a sense perceptual belief. Four, I had cereal for breakfast. That would be a memorial belief. Five, it is wrong to torture a person. That would be a morally intuitive belief. And finally, six, the restaurant is six blocks west. Now, number six is an example of a belief that would be formed in this case by way of testimony. Under the right circumstances, when another human being testifies to the truth of a proposition, then if you have no reason to distrust that human being as a witness, if they seem to be a credible witness, if there's no undercutting or rebutting defeaters, in other words, no reasons to reject their witness, then you are justified in accepting it and forming your belief based on it. But keep in mind that all sources of belief, whether basic or non-basic, are fallible. But the mere possibility that rational intuition or sense perception or testimony can fail you does not undercut our general warrant for accepting these sources of belief, barring any specific reasons to question them in a particular case. Now let's apply uh, testimony to our question here. Imagine two parents, Amber the atheist and Chris the Christian. Amber teaches her child that God does not exist, while Chris teaches his child that God does exist. If there are no defeaters to the testimony of which either child is aware, then each child is justified in forming a belief in the proposition in question based simply on the testimony of their parent. Amber's child could be rational to believe that God does not exist based upon that testimony, and Chris's child could be rational to believe that God does exist based upon that parent's testimony. The Christian who wants to argue that atheism can never be rational based upon testimony has an explanatory burden to bear. Likewise, the atheist who wants to argue, as Matt and Tom do, that theism presumably cannot be rational based upon testimony has an equally onerous burden to bear. 
Uh, keep in mind that belief in God, by our definition, is held by the vast majority of people on earth. Educated intellectuals and of lowly farmers or uneducated farmers, well, educated in the soil perhaps, but not in, in the technicals of philosophy. Highly educated scientists and housewives or house husbands, Oxbridge philosophers, small children, Nobel laureates, refugees, heads of state. Literally billions of people believe in God. Now, many of these people come to believe in God in just this way because of a trusted authority. A parent or a philosopher, a teacher or a scientist attests to the belief in God, and they form that belief based upon that testimony in a basic fashion rather than through a process of discursive reasoning. It seems quite clear that such belief can, in principle, be properly basic, and thus the possible vector of knowledge if God does, in fact, exist. It is the burden of Matt and Tom to argue that this is not possible, that all these people are thus irrational to accept belief in God based upon testimony. Suffice it to say, the burden is theirs, for we have no basis to think that theism necessarily violates any epistemic duties, and I think we have excellent grounds to accept that belief in God can be properly basic and thus rational based upon testimony. But theism can also be properly non-basic, that is held by way of a discursive reasoning process. I will now invite my debate partner, Sam, to share some reasons by which one could have properly non-basic belief in God by way of arguments. Well, thank you, Randall. It's a joy to be able to uh, debate with uh, both Matt and Tom. Uh, since the topic of today's debate is not whether the Christian God exists, but whether there are sufficient reasons for one to believe in God, I'll be presenting one argument called the argument from religious experience. By religious experience, I mean uh, a subjective experience in which a person apprehends themselves to stand in relation to what they may consider to be the divine. Richard Swinburne, professor of philosophy at Oxford University, uh, lists five kinds of religious experiences from the perspective of the one experiencing it. The first, public ordinary experiences of God. Uh, this would be akin to seeing a mountain or you know, seeing the ocean, or even if you've taken a flight before, seeing the clouds uh, and just feeling this sense of grandeur that that must be a great creative God who put all these things in place and thus experiencing God from these ordinary objects. The second would be public extraordinary experiences of God mediated through unusual and uncommon uh, objects. Uh, for example, seeing a bush on fire that is not consumed by the fire. I'm, I'm of course referring to uh, the incident, for example, that Moses describes as the burning bush experiences or just uh, miracles in general uh, would qualify as a public extraordinary experience of uh, God. The third would be private describable experiences by which of course I mean that experiences me mediated true private sensations that uh, can be described in sensory normal language. Take, for example, the famous analogy of Paul on the road to Damascus seeing a vision of Jesus, or just visions or dreams in general uh, qualify as a private describable experience. Uh, there's also number four, private non-describable experiences. For example, experiences uh, that we have, uh, people have about God that cannot be described or captured by literal language. Uh, take, for example, someone feeling a deep uh, calling to go into full-time ministry, 
uh, or something like that. This is something we hear a lot from atheists as well. They said, well, I've experienced that call to ministry, but uh, of course they reject it later on. Uh, so the fifth would be non-specific experience, uh, experiences of, of God that is not mediated by any sensations, uh, where the person claims to be intuitively and immediately aware of God's presence. So based on these five religious experiences, I submit the following argument. Premise one, many people from various times and cultures have claimed religious experiences. I, don't, I, I, I doubt that Matt and Tom would reject this first premise. Uh, and a, a, recent, a, a, a research survey conducted by Pew Research uh, in 2009 demonstrated that half the US public claimed to have had uh, religious or mystical experiences. Uh, these numbers interestingly come from uh, uh, a third of those who actually claim to have no religious affiliations and one-fifth of those who claim to be atheists and agnostics. The percentage actually uh, is higher in places like Asia, where about half the world's population live, and places like Africa and um, South America, where you have about close to a quarter of the world's population. So it's it, 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 it's fair to say that people from every time, uh, cultures and places have had religious experiences. Premise two, it is reasonable to believe these religious experiences unless we have evidences that they are mistaken. Now, this premise is based on two principles of rationality. The first is called the principle of credulity. The principle of credulity simply means that we ought to believe things as they seem apparent to us unless we have evidences that they are mistaken. In other words, the rational person is one who treats their basic cognitive processes as uh, innocent until there's reason to doubt. Unwarranted skepticism is unhelpful in the pursuit of truth. For example, the girl that I love appears to love me and it's rational for me in the absence of any evidences to the contrary to believe that she is not a planted assassin sent by some criminal organization to kill me. Uh, is it possible that she is an assassin? Yeah, that possibility is always open, but it would be highly irrational of me to continue to withhold belief in her simply because there's no proof that she is not an assassin. So the principle of credulity simply allows me to rationally accept things on the way that things seem in the absence of defeaters. The second uh, principle of rationality is called the, the principle of testimony. And uh, Randall has just shared a little bit about it. Uh, by, which of, by testimony, I mean that those who do not have religious experiences, have not experienced it themselves, uh, ought to believe what others who do uh, you know, uh, ought to believe the vast majority of people who do in the absence of evidences of deceit or delusion. For example, you know, the, in, in this pandemic, uh, you, I've not seen the coronavirus and I doubt many of you uh, watching from home have not seen the coronavirus yourself. But it's rational to believe that this thing is out there even though we have not observed it with our own eyes. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that both Matt and Tom would uh, agree that uh, that conspiracy theorists and flat earthers, for example, are not rational in spite of the fact that they withhold judgment and they refuse, they are skeptical of the claim that we have uh, a spherical earth or, or that you know, their conspiracy theories where they continue to believe things are not as they seem. That's not a very rational approach. Uh, students, for example, in school can rationally believe whatever their teachers teach them in the absence of evidences uh, that would cause them to cast doubt on what is being taught. 
So I'm just applying the same principle to religious experiences. And uh, I, I do suspect that Matt and Tom would disagree with me uh, and as would most atheists. But if they do, as my partner, uh, uh, Randall has said, they will have to demonstrate that these religious experiences are mistaken and thereby cannot be believed by a rational person. And I look forward to hearing the evidences for that. And if they fail to do so, it, it would seem to lead to the necessary conclusion that therefore belief in God is rational. Now in closing, let me say, does the argument from religious experience prove that God exists? No, it doesn't. It doesn't it's not designed to, and that's clearly not the topic of today's debate, is it, uh, does the argument from religious experience, will it convince Matt and Tom to believe in God? Will it impress them? I doubt so. I think for Tom and Matt to believe in God, perhaps they may have to have their own extraordinary religious experience. But does the argument from religious experience demonstrate that believers in God can rationally hold on to belief in God in the absence of defeaters? Absolutely. Thank you. You bet. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. And we will switch it over to our skeptical guests. Very excited to have them. Want to say really quick, saw new subscribers, Chris Powell and Christian Jensen. Thanks for subscribing. Glad to have you a part of the community. We'll now kick it over to Matt and Tom. Thanks so much, gentlemen, for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I really appreciate Samuel and uh, <laughs> Shoot, uh, Randall, for coming on today. I really enjoy those guys' arguments, so I'm happy they're here. Thanks for Matt for also taking the time to be here, and thanks for James for hosting it. So to uh, jump right in, I believe there is no evidence for the existence of God. And when we're talking about evidence, what we're looking for is some reason to believe God exists in reality and not just in our imagination. Therefore, evidence would need to be something that can differentiate between our imagination and reality. And none of the proposed evidence or arguments that theists present can do this. So I don't think there's any evidence for God. Pretty much all apologists' arguments are gods of the gaps, which I define as a kind of argument from incredulity, meaning I cannot imagine X could do Y, therefore X can't do Y, or I can imagine X can do Y, therefore X did Y. For example, I can't imagine how Y could be explained naturally, therefore God. If you break this down to its uh, component parts, it's I can't imagine how Y could be explained naturally. I can imagine how Y could be explained by God. Therefore, God did Y. Now, obviously, the fact that you cannot imagine something is, ev is not evidence it cannot occur. And the fact that you can imagine something isn't evidence it did occur. More sophisticated versions of this fallacious argument do not explicitly state the person presenting the argument can or cannot imagine something. Instead, they present an argument from their imagination explaining why they can or cannot imagine something. Unlike empirical evidence, this method can't differentiate between imagination and reality. So instead of explicitly stating, I cannot imagine X did Y, the sophisticated argument from incredulity would be an argument such as X did Y is a contradiction, or X did Y cannot happen, or X, it's impossible that X did Y. So for example, take the argument, Y has no possible natural explanation. The supernatural can explain Y, therefore the supernatural exists. The problem with this argument is that there is no way to rule out all possible natural explanations. So as we don't know everything about the natural world. There could be an infinitely many things about the natural world we simply don't know yet. So there could always be an unknown natural explanation that we cannot rule out. Therefore, this argument is stating a fact, not stating a fact about reality. It only tells us about the psychology of the person stating the argument, namely that they can't imagine a natural explanation. If at some point we, la we later discovered that there is a natural explanation for X, even though they said it was impossible, well, then obviously it wasn't impossible after all, necessarily meaning their argument wasn't a statement about reality. It was a statement about 
their perception. They couldn't believe it was the case. This kind of argument has been used many times throughout history. One of the most notable examples is the argument used against Einstein's general relativity in which time can bend. Many philosophers would argue that, well, time is a philosophical concept, so it can't bend. Yet we discovered empirically what it actually does, meaning that their argument was necessarily an argument from incredulity. They were simply stating they couldn't imagine time could bend. Therefore, they assumed that that was true about reality and then rejected Einstein's theory because of that, making it an argument from incredulity. Other common examples would be life cannot come from non-life, consciousness cannot come from non-consciousness. Typically, typically, a gaps argument follows the form of nothing we know of can explain X. I can make up an explanation of X. This is evidence of my explanation. Uh, the more sophisticated versions go something like, given what we currently know, it is really improbable X can do Y. I can imagine G, and if G exists, Y would not be improbable. Therefore, this is evidence of G. The most common example of such an argument is the argument from the resurrection of Jesus would go something like, it is really improbable that a natural explanation can explain the historical accounts. I can imagine if God existed or if the resurrection did occur, this would be a good explanation of the historical accounts. Therefore, this is evidence of the resurrection of God or miracles. The problem with this argument is that imagining that God exists and would do something isn't evidence God does exist or actually did the thing. The resurrection is just an imagined explanation with no basis in reality. There are infinitely many such imaginary things that we can come up with to explain an unknown. For example, what knocked over that cup? I can imagine there is a cup knocking fairy that exists or leprechauns or pixies or unicorns or magic. And that would explain the cup falling over. Is this evidence for any of those things? Well, obviously not. Because none of these things that have been demonstrated to exist independently of just post hoc explaining the unknown, then they're just gaps arguments of I can imagine this thing doing that, but it's not actually evidence it did. Something we currently know about, no matter how improbable, like delusions, hallucinations, fabrications, uh, birds, squirrels, any of those things, is always a more probable and better explanation than an imagined thing that has no basis in reality, like miracles, magic, gods, mythical creatures, the paranormal, supernatural, UFOs. So until these things that don't have an empirical basis have been demonstrated, other than just being post hoc explanations of the unknown, meaning they make novel testable predictions that are confirmed, then those things are not reasonable explanations of the unknown. You can't use them until they have been independently verified to exist. Now, there's, there's an even more sophisticated version of the GAPS argument, which is the intelligent design argument, which goes something like, it's really improbable that natural processes could produce, insert some complex property of life. Intelligence or intentionality can produce this same complex property as seen in human design things. Therefore, it's reasonable to include intelligence and intentionality produce life. The reason this is the more sophisticated version of the gaps argument is that it plays a game of hide the fallacy, burying the I can and cannot imagine in the premises to make it look perfectly reasonable. Um, in the intelligent design argument, the crux of the argument is based on this assertion that there is some complex property in life that is the same property that exists in uh, human design things or design things in general. Um, the problem with this argument is that that property is purely fabricated. It's purely an imaginary property. There is no such real property that has been demonstrated to exist in life and also in design things. It's purely a figment of, my, of their imagination. So the I can and cannot imagine is hidden in this property that they've asserted to exist. Uh, so most apologists' arguments are gaps arguments that follow the form, I cannot imagine how X could be explained naturally. I can't imagine how X can be explained by God, therefore God. The cosmological argument is I cannot imagine how naturalism can create a universe without space-time. The resurrection, I cannot imagine how the historical accounts can be explained naturally. The fine-tuning argument, I cannot imagine how the concept of the universe came about naturally. The moral argument, I cannot imagine how a non-conscious thing can ground morality. The ontological argument, I can't imagine the greatest possible being, literally one of the premises. The transcendental argument, I can't imagine how you can account for math and logic without God. 
So in conclusion, all apologetics arguments are arguments from incredulity or God of the gaps, meaning they're all just versions of I can't imagine, cannot imagine how not God could do this or explain this. And I can't imagine how God could explain this, therefore God. And such arguments do not provide a way to differentiate, differentiate imagination from reality. Therefore, there is no evidence for God. I'll turn it over to Matt. So, hi. First of all, thanks for everybody for being here. It's the first time I've uh, had the chance to uh, interact with uh, Randall and Samuel and, and Tom and I, well, I think, met once or twice before this at uh, ACA stuff. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks uh, for everybody for participating. Unlike Tom, I don't tend to say there is no evidence for God. And I do that for a very specific reason. And that reason is not because Tom is wrong. I agree with Tom with what he's saying. When he says there's no evidence for, he's talking about, in, at least in my understanding, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, a very specific thing. And that is evidence for a proposition, not merely evidence consistent with a proposition. And so when I talk about it, I tend to not say there's no evidence for God, because then my theistic opponent will come back and say, ah, oh, but what about anecdotal testimonial evidence? That counts as evidence. And then you have to have this side discussion, which we're probably going to have today anyway. There's a couple things I want to clear up. And one is that uh, for many years, I and many others have pointed out that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And while this is true, it is often confusing to people. And so let me make it more confusing because that's the best thing we could possibly do today. All claims require sufficient evidence. Uh, the only reason that some claims seem or feel more extraordinary to us is because we are sloppy and lazy. We use the sum total of human experience as a weighted uh, collection of evidence for something. And that's why if you say I have a pet dog, it feels very different to us than saying I have a pet dragon or God is real. And that's because, well, everybody knows dogs are real. Dogs exist. People have dogs as pets. And we just include all of that sum total of human knowledge in our claim. And, we tr and, and because of that, we would say that the, the claim there is a dog is mundane. And that's because it's already consistent with what we know. Whereas a claim that there's a dragon or a god or whatever is not mundane and we view it as extraordinary. But the truth is, no matter what the claim is, it requires sufficient evidence to, for belief to be warranted. Um, they just feel different for us. Now, if I were to say, Randall is a murderer. Sorry, man. Uh, should we just believe it until someone presents a defeater? Well, I would argue that no. The testimony alone is never going to be sufficient. The mere fact that we don't currently have a defeater and, you know, Randall's free to try to prove that he's not a murderer. I don't know how you would do that. I don't know how you would go about proving that you didn't murder anybody ever in the history of the world. Uh, but if we were going to try to make a case for this, producing an eyewitness testimony saying, I saw Randall murder this person, that I would argue is now evidence for the proposition because there's testimonial evidence that specifically ties to this. However, it's not sufficient on its own to warrant belief. I would hope that all of us would recognize that a, you know, an, an incident of someone saying, hey, I saw this happen, and you know, that's not enough to deprive some of their freedoms and say, sorry, you're a murderer. Producing an eyewitness would be, would be evidence for, although very weak evidence for. Producing a body, by the way, isn't necessarily evidence for the proposition that Randall killed somebody. Because I can produce a body and maybe Randall killed that person. Maybe Randall killed some other person and didn't kill this one. Maybe this person wasn't even murdered. Maybe me producing a body, we have to also establish that there was a wrongful death and then tie that wrongful death to God. This is the way we mess up in our, in our 
intuitions about how we should think about things. Producing a body isn't sufficient evidence. We need to actually produce the entire case and make a strong case for it. And so when somebody tells me, hey, the restaurant's six blocks down, okay, that's a testimony. And by and large, I'm going to take them at face value for that but only for the extent of me going six blocks down to see if the restaurant is actually there. The proof is in that six block walk to the destination. That is when we are rationally justified in believing that the restaurant is where that person said it is. Because we also know that people can be mistaken, that people can be biased, that people can be wrong, that eyewitness testimony is incredibly unreliable. And so when somebody says, oh, just look at the grandeur, look at the, you know, here's this, or here's an account of a religious experience, an account that identifies itself as a religious experience is not confirmation of a religious experience. And to simply suggest that because people report experiences, we should take them at their word on what has to be the single biggest and most important question we can ask, which is, is there some God that exists and knows and cares about us and wants any interaction with us. The notion that someone would argue that because people have reported religious experiences or because people have testified to these sorts of things, all of a sudden the burden of proof now shifts to the atheist to show that all of these people are in fact wrong. That's not the way the burden of proof uh, works. And it would be a mistake for a defense attorney to walk into a courtroom and suggest that, well, you know, the prosecution hasn't presented any physical evidence, but let me spend all my time trying to prove everybody who might make some claim wrong, uh, despite the fact there's no physical evidence tied to this. And that's that's a case where in a courtroom, all, all we're looking for is beyond reasonable doubt, uh, and we're talking about an individual's life. On, a, on an issue where whether or not there's a God exists, whether or not a God exists, this is far more significant than a stolen bicycle, and yet, the defenders of this God don't seem to be able to produce a body, don't, be able to show, don't seem to be able to show that the body was in fact wrongfully uh, killed, and, and don't, be able to present any, don't seem able to present any evidence that ties it to that God. So if the all we're getting is that it's rational to believe in God because there's a bunch of people who believe in God, I, I will continue to say that is not sufficient reason. You bet. And with that, we'll jump into open conversation, folks. So thanks so much. Another quick reminder that all of our guests I have linked in the description just for you folks. So with that, thanks, gentlemen, for being here. The floor is all yours. Okay, so let's uh, let me jump in then. Uh, the way that uh, Matt and Tom have both approached this is by objecting to arguments for God's existence. But of course, the first part of our presentation was that arguments need not be required because one can form belief basically upon testimony. And that was one example. And interestingly, Matt concedes the point. So he, he says, yeah, you know, you could form belief based upon testimony that the, that the restaurant is six blocks away. So uh, keeping in mind that the actual burden of proof you've assumed here is to show that every single person who believes in God is irrational. Can uh, I question? Yeah, well, let me, let me just. Something? I just wanted yeah. to know if this was free form or if we were going turn by turn. I, just clarity on order. You bet. Open, open style. Just kind Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, Randall. I just yeah. wanted to make sure I wasn't interrupting inappropriately. Yeah, no problem. Uh, feel free to interrupt appropriately at any time. So, okay, so, um, so the, the claim was that every single person, uh, several billion people on earth, believe in God under the definition that we provided. And the assertion that they're all irrational even though many of them hold belief based upon this properly basic testimonial formation, 
it's a very strong claim you have to def defend that in every one of those instances, those people do not have sufficient reason based upon the grounds of the testimony they've received in order to rationally believe in God. So I'm wondering directly, how would you show that the argument I presented with respect to proper basicality failed? Uh, yeah, so let me jump in there if I can. Um, so were the people in Rome reasonable to believe in Zeus and Thor, uh, or Zeus and uh, uh, Hercules and Medusa and all those people based on the testimony of their parents and the testimony of the people who lived at the time? Why not? At that time, they didn't have any defeaters to that. I just said in my opening statement that an atheist parent could teach the child and the child could rationally form belief in the non-existence of God based upon their testimony. Yep. yep. So if they're rational to believe all those things, and yet now we know today through science that lightning isn't created by Zeus and that all those uh, entities don't exist, we know for certain that that methodology has been proven to be extremely unreliable. We know not just in the case of the Greeks and the Romans that their gods don't exist and were false, uh, but also the Norse gods and fairies, leprechauns, unicorns, magic, miracles, lots of things that people have been taught by their parents, Santa Claus, don't, are not real. And so we know that that methodology of believing things based off of testimony from parents is an unreliable method. It's like using a broken compass to try and uh, guide which direction you should go. And so using that as a basis to ground knowledge is irrational because we know it doesn't work. And as far as we know, pretty much throughout history, in all cases that are related to things outside of just the normal stuff in your life, it's false. That methodology does not give us any reasonable information. Like you can tell us there's a store six blocks down the street or that there's a dog over there or that uh, chickens taste good when cooked or whatever, but it can't tell us anything about the fundamental nature of reality or God. Here, or... The problem is that, that the statement you just made is self-defeating, okay? Because, okay. okay, because the way that from the, when we are infants, when we are toddlers, the way that we form beliefs about the world is in large part through the testimony. We learn language through testimony of our parents and caregivers and others. And if you are now claiming that the, un, the testimony is sufficiently unreliable to provide a sweeping undercutting defeater for all testimony, then you've just undercut all the testimony you've ever received from anyone back to when you were a one, two, three-year-old learning your first words. Right. That's why I said there's testimony is reasonable in certain cases, like saying there's a, a house six blocks down or the chicken tastes good. In those cases that already have an empirical basis, it's reasonable to believe testimony, like if they're just mundane claims, as Matt pointed out. But if you're making claims about the fundamental nature of reality, like that Zeus exists and causes lightning, those are the ones that we have demonstrated false with science. Like the, the testimony that there's a house six blocks down, science is going to confirm that. So those kinds of claims are reasonable to believe based off of the testimony of parents teaching their kids. But the claims about the fundamental nature of reality that have no empirical basis, those are not. Well, for, if I can jump in for a second, because R Randall started this off by, by claiming that I said that one can form belief based on that testimony. And what I would point out is that if somebody tells me the restaurant's six blocks down, is it possible for me to form a belief that the restaurant is in fact six down, six blocks down? Yes. Does that mean that it's rational for me to form that belief? No. I would argue that the belief that may be rational to believe is I am convinced this person is more than likely honestly trying to direct me to where the restaurant is. That's what is that is what is the default assumption when I'm engaging with someone who I don't know. However, for me to conclude that they are in fact right about the restaurant is not based solely on their testimony. It is a the proof is in the pudding. The proof is in getting to the restaurant. If someone were to say the restaurant is six blocks down and I went, hey, I'm convinced the restaurant is six blocks down, 
I, I would argue that that is not a rational justification, that I have in fact taken the thing that I would be justified in accepting, which is this person is, as far as I can tell, honestly trying to convey me to the right place, and I would have then misplaced a secondary belief on it, which is almost exactly the same thing that, that Samuel did when he talked about, in premise one, many people claim religious experiences, and that claiming a religious experience is separate from having a religious experience, and yet he goes on with this equivocation throughout the rest of that argument, where the fact that someone claimed a religious experience is somehow equated to them having one. And that begs the question. I'd love to jump in, but Sam, do you want to respond? Yeah. I wanted to, I was just wanting to see whether you, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, so uh, Matt, so what I'm, what I'm essentially, what you're essentially saying, just to understand you correctly, you're saying that uh, it's, a, it's equivocating when I say that people claim to have religious experiences and people who actually have religious experiences, is that right? Yeah, in the same way that I would say someone claiming they were abducted by aliens is not confirmation that they were in fact abducted by aliens. Right, so... Uh, so do you do you then believe that people who claim religious experiences are lying? Is that is that is, do you, do you, I mean clearly there's a possibility that I I myself won't deny, but I'm no. just wondering do you believe what 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 do you what's your belief? Yeah, so, in that? so what what I've what I've talked about before is that if someone tells me they had a religious experience or that they were abducted by aliens, I'm going to use both of them side by side. I believe that that person, unless I have some evidence to the contrary, is honestly telling me about an experience they are convinced they had. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean the conclusions that they've reached about that experience are valid. You know, somebody says, oh, I saw a ghost. And the truth is, they have some experience, and the only way that they can describe it is to use the language of, I've seen a ghost. Or they've had some experience, and the only thing that they can do is describe it as, I was abducted by aliens, or God talked to me. None of those are indicators on their own that God actually talked to someone, or that aliens abducted somebody, etc. Sure. I mean, I think that you're on the same page. So my question would be... Uh, like for example, if someone actually told you that they were abducted by aliens, what what are some defeaters do you think to that proposition? Um, so if somebody says I was abducted by aliens, uh, that's not a proposition that I think that we have any defeater on without actually investigating and asking questions. Um, you'd have to say more about the experience and look into this to see what is plausible and what is not. I, I, I completely agree with you. So. What I would say is someone is so I, I, I wouldn't discount the possibility that someone if they claim that they were abducted by aliens actually were abducted by aliens. And, and I completely agree with you that I would ask follow up questions like, yeah. uh, did anyone witness it? Uh, uh, was it an, in, an independent thing? But now, assuming, for example, hypothetically speaking, that uh, the vast majority of the world's population claim that they have been abducted by aliens. Uh, you, you would agree that the analogy is not quite the same, right? Because due to the universality of the claimed uh, not the experience, but the claimed experience. So, and, and, and I have a follow-up question, so yeah. Can I just insert one thing that kind of piggybacks on what Sam said, and then you can okay. respond? So, uh, um, uh, so Sam invoked most people on Earth being believing in God, and so adjusting the alien analogy to that. But I would also like to push it on the idea of an individual experience. So if you've seen the movie Contact, I'm sure you have. Uh, at the end of Contact, Ellie Arroway, for those who don't know, they, they seem to, they have contact with an alien uh, civilization, and then they send instructions back to Earth on how to build this contraption, which they do. And then she gets into the capsule and she falls through it. And then uh, she's only, uh, what they tell her afterwards is she fell through uh, in, in this little the space pod and fell down to Earth. She was only in there for like two seconds, but when she was in the pod, she felt to her like she was in there for nine hours and she had contact with this alien, 
who came to her in the form of her father and talked to her and she had this interaction with him. Now, it seems to me that even though in that case, that isn't like several billion people have had an experience like that, she did. But nonetheless, she is rational to believe under those circumstances that she had that experience, even if other people are not privy to the same experience. And to them, it seems like it was only two seconds. Yeah, so first of all, um, the number of people who are reporting an experience has no impact on whether or not it is true or rational. Um, so I like the fact that it's it's strange that Samuel went to look at how many people believe in God and Randall went to this, here's this one example, albeit an example from fiction. Um, and what what Ellie may or what Ellie may or may not what Ellie may or may not be justified in rationally accepting is independent from what somebody else should. And so if if you've had a Damascus Road experience, I I would not deny that if that experience occurred and you had it, that you might be rationally might be. There's a little more to this. Might be rationally justified. However, nobody else is rationally justified in believing because of your account of your Damascus Road experience. Going back, to, and this is me cribbing Hume with Revelation is necessarily first person into everybody else. It's hearsay, and so that is, that is where I where I would come down on that. Um, I don't think, and granted, we're talking about a, a, a fiction in contact. I don't think that Ellie, given the totality of the evidence that we are presented with, could rationally could could say that they were reasonably justified in saying they truly experienced nine hours and all this content in any sense more than somebody who reports a deathbed, uh, an out-of-body experience can truly say that because of what we know about the brain, because of what we know about how when the brain is deprived of oxygen or in an altered state or whatever else, and then it comes back and begins to snap back to conscious awareness, it has to invent something to describe the time that took place and when those stories are like that. Now, okay, I, from my point of view, and I, I don't mean just to be glib, we basically are propping up a fictional account to try to prop up another fictional account. And all I'm saying is that I'm not saying everybody in the world that reports or thinks that they had a religious experience is wrong or irrational. I'm saying that there's no demonstration that they are rational. And it seems strange to me that, that we're, we're getting pointed to all these people who have these God experiences, and yet we're ignoring the fact that almost, I, I would describe, I, I would argue that every single God experience is unique that they have similarities and overlaps, but they belong to different religions and different doctrines and different structures. And even two Baptists in the same Baptist church can have experiences that are different. They just have some commonality. And for me, the commonality is best explained in the fact that we are human beings with a mind trying to make sense of the world, seeking patterns, et cetera. Yeah, so, uh, Matt, I just want to just come back directly on, on what you said there. Uh, so you stated several times that it's a fictional story. That's a little bit of an example of what we call poisoning the well, what, where you're trying to undermine the point with a particular label. What it is actually in this context is a thought experiment. So the fact that the thought experiment is a hypothetical scenario that has not, to our knowledge, in fact, occurred in the world is quite irrelevant to the informational impact it can have on this discussion. Now, I'm glad that Matt conceded that he, it's possible that people have had for themselves religious experiences analogous to what Ellie Arroway has in that scene in contact, which could for them provide justification uh, so that they could rationally believe that. And of course, there are billions of people who exactly say that. I've had a particular experience. So I think that uh, at most what you would be at at this point is back into the corner of agnosticism. You'd have to say, since I haven't had those experiences, oh, I just can't speak to it. Oh, uh, okay. First of all, um, 
agnosticism and atheism are not mutually exclusive. They, they answer two completely different questions, but this, this d discussion here, which by the way, in Randall's opening statement, he declared exactly what Tom and I need to do. And that is we need to provide a defeater to the resolution. Well, I'm sorry to let you know, maybe you're reading from old notes, but there's no resolution for this debate. It's just listed as sufficient reasons to believe in God, question mark. It's a discussion about whether or not there's sufficient reasons. Me pointing out that you cited a fiction to support something else that I think is fiction. Yes. Okay whatever, but I did in fact address the thought experiment aspect of it. And me saying that someone may be rationally justified is noted and, and expanded on about the fact that even if you, Randall, were rationally justified in your belief about God, that would not serve as a rational justification for anybody else. And in order for me to be convinced that you were in fact rationally justified, you would have to demonstrate that. Otherwise, you're just another person out there going, nope, I'm rationally justified. I can't demonstrate it to you. Can't show it to anybody. Can't provide any evidence for it, but I'm rationally justified. And that, from an outsider's perspective, is functionally identical to, to someone who's delusional. No, it's actually not. Um, you know, we've taught, you accused me of being a murderer early on. So let me come back to that illustration. I actually uh, did so, but... Well, I'm, you know, I, facetious. I'll play along. Facetious. I'll play along. Yeah. Okay, so, so, but let's say somebody accused me of being a murderer, and there actually was, there were some eyewitnesses, and there was a motive, and there was also my DNA was found at the crime scene. On the other hand, I remember distinctly that at that afternoon, I was up at the cabin, although nobody saw me at the cabin, but I distinctly remember that. It's absolutely clear that I could be perfectly rational in believing in my own innocence, even if other people could be justified in believing in my guilt. And... You'd be overreaching to claim, I could not rationally believe in my innocence. And it's the same thing when we're talking, whether you're up at the cabin or whether you have an experience of God, you could be rational. Yeah, but the problem here is that if the issue we're addressing is, is there sufficient reason to believe in God? You are in a position of claiming that you have sufficient reason to believe in God, correct? Sure, yeah. Which means you need to demonstrate to the rest of us that you have sufficient reason to believe in God. And if your demonstration is you can't prove me wrong, well, that's just a fallacy. That's not a demonstration. Well, that's you not my demonstration. I've actually written a few books about this. Now, if, if your assumption is that that's I have to provide evidence for the belief in God that is going to compel every other single person, no argument meets that standard. And that would be a completely irrational standard. No, I'm, I'm saying in order for, for in order for an outsider to determine that you are in fact rational, you would need to present the case for why you think you're rational, right? Sure, I can provide arguments and evidence. The fact that I don't but persuade everybody saying, in the room. But you, so you started this whole thing by saying arguments aren't necessary and you presented no evidence and it's all about testimonial. No, I actually presented, that is an argument. I presented an argument based upon proper basicality. Okay. Right. Mind if I jump here? So yeah, sure. my position is, is that you like using your example of the contact one where she fell into the thing that would not be reasonable for her to believe that there was aliens that she contacted unless that individual experience gave her something else to work with. Like if the aliens told her that if you go to this, this position somewhere on earth and you dig up a pile of gold at this exact location, and then she did that, then she may be reasonable to believe that she actually talked with aliens, but just having an experience with her father and having things that could purely be done by her own mind would not be reasonable for her to believe that she talked with aliens. Testimony, like you mentioned that believing you're not a murderer because you remember yourself being in the cabin, 
would not be the same as believing in a God because those are two different categories. Like the extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If you think that, if you remember being at the cabin, then maybe that would be reasonable to believe you weren't the murderer. But if you remember yourself being abducted by aliens during that time period, then it's probably the case that you had a delusion and you may have committed the murder. And so it wouldn't be reasonable for you to believe you didn't if you remember yourself being abducted by aliens. The testimony is only reasonable if it's the testimony of things that already have an empirical basis, things we already know exist in the world that are not purely imaginary. If you yeah, have testimony so, of other things, yeah. what, go ahead. So uh, I'll make a statement and then a question, and then I, and I'll let Sam get in after that, but I, I need to respond to that. So um, uh, the, the statement, well, so first of all, you, you've been, uh, oh yeah, so the statement is, you're talking about what's what's extraordinary, right? Well, in fact, I hate to break it to you, but to the vast majority of people on earth, belief in God such as we've defined it here is not extraordinary. <laughs> so it seems to me that, that actually that's true. So it seems like you're just projecting your plausibility framework on everybody else and say, well, for me, that's extraordinary. This is uh, not extraordinary. So you have to have additional evidence for that. Well, to persuade you, yes, it doesn't mean they have to have additional evidence for them to be justified because they have a different background set of beliefs or what we call a plausibility structure than you do. Now, Tom, you've been talking about uh, this empirical corroboration, and it seems like you're appealing to a general epistemic principle here that you have to have empirical corroboration in order to be justified in believing something. And if that is the case, you actually believe that, then I'm wondering what's your empirical corroboration for the principle such that you can be justified in believing it? Uh, no, the argument is that you need empirical corroboration of something that is has no basis in reality. Like you, you need some way to differentiate imagination from reality. That's so for like if I saw question begging. No, no. So like if I saw a dog, that would be reasonable for me to believe just based off of my I see the dog. If I saw a unicorn, I should immediately think probably not the case. I should need some other way to verify that unicorns exist and shouldn't believe that. So to what was the first thing you know you said it was. So, so the first one was that you're 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 projecting your plausibility framework and right, saying, right. So, and that's the demand for everybody. Right. So, I'm in that case. You said I needed some more evidence, and my other evidence for that is the fact that when people base beliefs off of testimony of their parents or whatever or their personal experience, we know for a fact that gets things wrong consistently throughout history in every possible case that doesn't already have this common empirical basis, like dogs, like we know aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, Thor, Zeus. Um, all of those cases, which were all based on the same kind of evidence, we know that science has shown those are false, those are wrong. So we know this methodology does not work. And that is a defeater for using this methodology to ground your belief in a God, because it's the same category of things. Yeah, I, th I think I already responded to that by saying, if you follow that principle consistently as an undercutter for all testimonial evidence, then you would undercut all your beliefs to basis to believe anything because the vast majority of our beliefs are based upon evidence in the early or testimony in the earliest formational stages of our lives. So you ultimately back into what I'm accusing you of here, which is projecting your plausibility framework onto the entire human population and saying, well, if they don't match your plausibility framework, then they believe extraordinary and unjustified things. Yeah. So I will be quiet now. Sorry. The problem here isn't that we're trying to impose like our framework on people. We're trying to pose a reasonable framework on people. So it's not about, this wasn't our, it's not like Tom and I sat here and came up with skepticism and science and how to establish the burden of proof. It's a bunch of great thinkers over the years kept saying, you know what, if we allow this standard of evidence, then all sorts of stuff gets in, which is conflicting, which is why if testimonial evidence is deemed rational enough to to be supportive of a god belief now the sort that has that has to be just that has to be granted to every god believer 
And so now you have, you, you are claiming that there are a bunch of people who believe in a bunch of different gods and they're all rational. And that sets up something that is in conflict with what we, what we know to be true, which is they cannot all be correct. And so we need uh, something. We're not talking about correct. I mean, rational and correct or, or having knowledge are two different things. I yes, get, people can rationally disagree. That's not a big revelation. I, I get it. It's um, The thing is, if you're going to say that something's rational and you provide uh, the, the foundation that you're providing does not offer a way to delineate between the, the belief that you derive from that supposed rational or non-extraordinary structure if you have no way to delineate the belief that you accept from it and the belief that somebody else accepts from it, then I would argue that by definition, it cannot be rational. If, if a methodology can lead to two different, mutually exclusive conclusions, then that is not a method at all. And how dare anyone suggest that they can be rationally justified by appealing to a method that can lead to different conclusions. Well, one of the issues to keep in mind here, again, is that people actually do have different data sets when they come to data, different plausibility frameworks, different worldviews, and those provide the interpretive grids for the data. And so it is possible that data can be underdetermined such that it can be interpreted consistently relative to two different worldviews, plausibility frameworks, or interpretive structures. No, 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 because now what you're arguing, so what we're talking about when we're talking about whether or not something's rational isn't just and on an individual basis. It's like when you go to, to court and they have a different standard, you know, like what a reasonable person would, would, ex, would accept, what the average bystander would accept, what, the, what an expert, a recognized expert in a field would accept. Um, yeah, if, if we wanted to, we could say that every child who was taught by their parents that God is real is rationally justified. Therefore, ta-da, it is rationally justified for people to believe in God, except that I don't think we're looking at this on the can we find some individual for, for whom they are, they are rationally justified because they are monumentally ignorant of the world around them. I think we are looking at this from, a, from the spectrum of humanity as a whole and the bulk and wealth of human experience and understanding. And if that's the case, then we're not talking about whether or not an individual can think that they are rationally justified, but whether humanity as a whole, given the wealth of human knowledge and understanding about best methodologies, would think that this individual is rationally justified. Well, most uh, people that have access to some degree of the wealth of human knowledge actually disagree with atheism. So I think at the least we could grant them prima facie that they very well could be rational to do that. Yes, except none of them have prevented, presented rational evidence-based arguments to support their belief. They are enculturated into this. It is not the fact that science has confirmed the existence of God just because some scientists also believe in a God. That, that, is, that is a monumental error in categorizing what's going on. The fact that most people believe something is independent from why they believe it. And scientists who believe in God don't believe in God for science reasons. Of course not. I mean, that would be a category error. That's not the kind of belief. Just like you don't argue for your ethical position based upon scientific principles. It's a different field of discourse. I just wanted to ask, uh, just come in if that's all right. Uh, and the reason why I'm asking Matt this and not Tom is because Tom and I have had extensive conversations on this. I think uh, I've had at least two hours on his channel just discussing this. Uh, but Matt, I just want to follow up. Uh, and also I want to deal with, uh, you know, I think a, a possible objection you raised about the conflicting uh, experiences. But I just wanted to just follow up on what I said I would follow up. Uh, and that is, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we are actually a lot closer than, uh, than I think. Uh, then I presuppose coming into 
today's, right? So uh, I just wanted to ask you, and, and in terms of religious experiences, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is something that, if I'm not mistaken, you have said you have had as well uh, when you're younger. Uh, is that fair to say that? Yes, I I, I was. Um, so short version, uh, my mom's side of the family was originally Catholic. My dad's side was Southern Baptist. My uncle's a medical missionary who served in Thailand, Taiwan. Uh, one of those two, I'm getting confused at the moment. Uh, I was in church from before I was born. I walked down the aisle at the age of five to accept Jesus into my heart at a revival. I was active in, in the Baptist church, the Southern Baptist church, uh, all the way up until I graduated high school. And people in my church expected me to go on to become a preacher, so much so that when I debated Mike Lacone on the resurrection, some of them flew down from St. Louis to ask me during the Q&A, hey, what happened? Uh, so I have I, I have that background and I've had experiences. Now I can't say that my experience was the same as somebody else's, but when somebody describes like their experience of being in church and feeling the Holy Spirit, I've had an experience which is indistinguishable from that in description. I just don't happen to think that the Holy Spirit is the best explanation for it because I've had similar experiences on drugs, from secular music, from secular art, from really good meals, things like that. Not identical, but similar like that. So yeah, I've had other, those experiences. Right, right. so uh, when you mentioned, for example, that people have different kinds of experiences and they're not the same, I actually take that as a an, an evidence of non-corroboration, that, that you're not finding people. I would find it really interesting if if people came up with the identical experience. And then, I, I mean, it's almost like, you know, when, when you know, people claim that they're speaking in tongues, but you find them saying the exact same thing the other guy is saying, and you begin to have your doubts, you know, are you just repeating what the other guy is saying? So I, I think that these different experiences uh, actually, yeah. uh, it, it, it's all right. But uh, I, I'm very interested to know, for example, what, what would you consider, at least for yourself, because I'm just interested in understanding, what would you consider for yourself to be a, you know, like a defeater to show that this experience that you had, not, not what I had, not what other people had, uh, was not real. Uh, no, 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 I'm not saying it wasn't real. I, I, uh -huh. had, I had an experience. I'm not denying that I had an experience. Sure. I just think it was entirely an experience from me. I have no evidence. See, previously I accepted. There were a bunch of people around me who offered their testimony that I was experiencing the Holy Spirit. And right. I gullibly went along with it because, hey, they know more than I do. They're smarter than I am. They're having this experience. And later on, I found that, you know what? That experience, there's nothing to tie that to the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence to tie that specifically to the Holy Spirit other than that's what people are telling me. And what people are telling me cannot be good enough because these people disagree on every manner of everything else. Where is God to clear this up? If God is willing to give me an experience of the Holy Spirit, then God should damn well be able to step up and answer a clear question and not put me in a position where I need to keep debating about whether or not I'm personally rational or whether the world should consider I'm rational or whether there's evidence for it. This is absolute, I mean, we're sitting here talking about, and I don't mean to, to, to beat up on everybody else over it, but Randall's position is essentially, if any individual, through whether it's because of their lack of knowledge or understanding or whatever, in a given instant feels rational, therefore it's good for us, it's reasonable for us to argue that it is rational, rational to believe in God. And that's just not the way it works. And well, he's shaking his head, so I guess he agrees it's not the way it works. I, I apologize <laughs> if I'm <laughs> In case you didn't hear that, I said I apologize if I misrepresented it. But I, I, I'm looking at this as whether or not the belief is rational from, you know, 
let's let's go from the expert in the field category or, or something like that, not just the bare minimum of somebody can be rational. Because once upon a time, I think we would all agree that it was reasonable to conclude that the sun went around the earth, given the available evidence. But would we say in 2020 that it is reasonable to conclude still that the sun goes around the earth? And I would say, no, it's not. And yet we have a bunch of people who are flat earthers and other stuff, and they are using this same thing of, here's my limited set of understanding and I'm reasonable in that framework. And I'm saying, no, that doesn't fly in the grand scheme, which is why I'm objecting to it. No, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Matt. So, uh, I mean, I think that if people, all the evidences that were available to them is, you know, to just sit down and just look up at the sky. But funny thing is, uh, the Greeks actually realized that uh, uh, the, the geocentric view was, was not a very plausible one very early on, even in the BC period. Uh, but uh, the, the point I'm trying to make is that I, I think you're absolutely right. In the absence of defeaters, uh, then you, you can say that that's a, a very rational belief. But clearly, I think flat, earth, uh, flat earthers uh, are not rational at all because you have the defeaters, you have the photographs, you have all these evidences available to you. And on the basis of that, obviously, uh, it's not rational to continue believing in a flat earth. Uh, but I'm, I'm just, the reason why I'm asking this is because I, when, I, when, when Tom asked me, when, when I was on Tom's channel, Tom asked me, why, why do I believe in God? I said, Tom, I'm not going to come here and lie to you and say the reason I believe in God is because I found the Kalam cosmological argument convincing or the, the fine-tuning argument of the universe at age five. I, you know, I realized that this was, none of those happened. Uh, I believe God because primarily uh, my parents told me so. My dad was a pastor. My great-grandfather was a missionary. Uh, and... Uh, that's how it started. But eventually, uh, I began to find that uh, faith in God uh, actually led to me experiencing God in, in a multiple of different ways, multiple different ways. And I'm saying that uh, if skepticism is the way to go, then I need to, I want to know, because I don't want to waste my life, right, living on believing in God if it's not real. I want to know what are the rational defeaters out there that I should be aware of. And if there is not, why, aren't, why am I not justified in continue believing? Uh, until you know, I get because you see the my, my the experiences I have continue to confirm um, uh, my the, the intuitions that I have that God exists. I'm just interested to learn that because this is it's not merely a debate for me. This is concerning life choices and life decisions. Yeah. Mind if I jump yeah. in here? I'm, yeah. I'm gonna let Tom jump in. I just want to say one thing, uh, just so it doesn't get overlooked. You keep looking for a defeater. Um, that that is all based on the notion that you think you should believe until there's a defeater, which is something I don't accept and which I already kind of respond to, but we can get into it more. I want to let Tom have time here. Well, let's just grant that for the sake of argument say it is reasonable to believe until there is a defeater. I think we do have a defeater. Like if you imagine children growing up thinking they have a magic eight ball that can tell them things about the universe and they, they honestly think that this works. And then later we discover scientifically, oh, the magic eight ball doesn't work. Now, even if the children were reasonable to believe in that magic eight ball, now that we've come through the age of science and science showed, oh, no, that's not really a good method. We have a defeater. The magic eight ball doesn't work. That's science. And the same thing applies to uh, our testimony and intuitions as human beings. It's like, we have a defeater for that. We know those things don't work. We've proven scientifically those are really bad methods to try and assess the truth of the universe. They work for things like maybe there's a house six blocks down or that there's a dog that the, the neighbor has or whatever, but they don't work for things like quantum mechanics or what is the correct medical treatment to cure uh, the side pains that we have. Like our intuitions and testimony do not work for those things and they don't work for the fundamental nature of reality. So we have a defeater for those. We have demonstrated that our intuition and testimony do not work when trying to discover the fundamental nature of reality. And so we have reason not to say that we should not base our conclusions based off of those things. 
So, uh, Tom, you're talking about the fundamental nature of reality, but you're actually, what you referenced there was nature. And so when we talk about God, we're not simply talking about nature, which is the proper object of scientific investigation. We're talking about another sphere of reality, the metaphysical sphere, that which is ultimate or absolute. Um, and so to, to say that, well, science hasn't shown us that God exists, Actually, Matt says, yeah, I agree. You know, science isn't about that. Shouldn't be in the business of trying to show that God exists. I mean, that's a, a conflation of concepts here in the same way that you don't judge an ethical theory, as I said earlier, based upon some sort of scientific test. You don't judge uh, particular conceptions of God or you can't settle ultimately, certainly the question of the rationality of belief in God based upon scientific inquiry. All right, that's not... I'm I don't think I said question. what you accused me of saying, by the way. So, so I'm saying that the methodology you're using to try and differentiate is this thing imaginary or real doesn't work. So you're claiming that there is this God thing and this God isn't just a part of our imagination, it exists in reality. And when we say, we, we use that kind of terminology quite often, like we think Zeus exists in reality. That's, that was a metaphysical claim. It wasn't a physical claim. It was about the fundamental nature of reality. I think Zeus and Cronus were and voodoo and all those things are metaphysical claims. And so whenever someone claims that there is this thing that exists not in our imagination, in reality, we discover that scientifically, oh, wait, no, that was actually false. And so, so we're using that method of, I have this testimony to judge whether this thing exists in reality. We know that is an unreliable method to differentiate if this thing, whatever it is, whether it's physical or metaphysical, whether that is real in reality or just a part of our imagination. And so unless you have a different methodology you can use to differentiate imagination from reality, we know that method of just testimony is unreliable. So we have a defeater for that method. Um, so, so let me make, I'm gonna simplify sort of the conversation here, the disagreement perhaps. So we're talking about that which is unconditionally and non-dependently real, the ultimate. What's the nature of ultimate reality? And there are two sort of basic positions we could think of. Ultimate reality is a personal reality or it's an impersonal reality. It's an agent cause or it's an, a non-agent cause. And the theist is the person who says ultimate reality, that which is unconditionally, non-dependently real is an agent cause, it's a personal reality. The atheist is the person who says, no, I think it's a non-personal or a non-agent reality. Uh, so if you wanna argue that a person cannot rationally believe either one of those claims, I mean, fine, you can undercut the rationality of atheism if you like and say everybody ought to be global agnostics about the ultimate nature of reality. Oh my God. I, well, I mean, Tom is the one. Atheism is not the assertion that there is no God. Atheism is not accepting that there is a God. Atheism is not a positive no. statement look, 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 that there look. is no God. No, I'm telling you, if, if as you want an to open, atheist yeah. in the modern atheist movement, and that there are two di multiple different usages of the term, and if you're only going to go with the strong or hard or hard usage, you are now engaged in a straw man because you're no, no longer not, interacting no. with the person who's sitting right here. No, so if, if you're an agnostic by historic definition, fair enough. No, uh, and if you want to use the word atheism, look, knowledge, you can open up the encyclopedia. You can open up Paul Edwards' Encyclopedia of Philosophy. The definition of atheism is the one I just gave. You can open up the Cambridge Companion to Philosophy. That's the definition that I so, gave. So, so when you're debating you're arguing, those people, it's relevant, but not when you're debating me. So, yeah, so, so, Randall, so, right, Randall, so you're an agnostic Randall, by historic Randall, definition, but you Randall, call it atheism. That's I, I'm fine. done answering this. Yeah. Stop deciding that you're going to label me. Did I do that for you? I am an agnostic atheist or a Gnostic atheist or a Gnostic anti-theist, depending on eight different con different usages of those terms. But if you're just going to go with the straw man, 
hard, strong, strong atheism thing to just say, oh, we're not agnostic. First of all, whether or not I'm an atheist is completely irrelevant to this debate. This debate is whether or not there's, a, there's sufficient evidence for God, not there's no onus on me to hold that God doesn't exist or to prove that God doesn't exist. This is about whether or not there's sufficient reason. So why do you keep bringing up the strong atheist position, which isn't mine and isn't relevant to the debate? I was pointing out that Tom took a position, the implications of which would be you could not have a rational belief as to whether the ultimate nature of reality is personal or impersonal, which would historically be the agnostic position. Now, if you say, I recognize some people use that term now and they call it soft atheism. Fine, that or whatever Randall, they want to can call I steal it. That's, your that's position? just a secondary issue. Yeah. Randall, can I, can I steal? So yeah. you're, what you're arguing is, is that we can't conclude that the fundamental nature of reality is either personal or impersonal. It doesn't matter what we label those things. So my argument is actually we could actually say that because as far as we can tell, the best methodology we do have to discover differentiate imagination from reality is science right now. And that does indicate that the most fundamental things we can discover are impersonal. Vacuum states, uh, quantum mechanics, particles, those things are all impersonal things as far as we can tell. So given the best methodology we have to differentiate imagination from reality, we can inductively conclude the fundamental nature of reality is probably impersonal. Yeah, I, I'd say, Matt said I misrepresented him on this. So I'm just going to say this and then turn it back and you can respond. So uh, in my view, science, the domain of science is nature, but to extrapolate that science thereby provides us information as to the ultimate nature of reality is, I believe, a category error. Science, so science isn't co-equal with nature. Science is discussion is the is the search for knowledge, and it will deal with reality. Right now, science is based on methodological naturalism, which is not the assumption that the supernatural doesn't exist. It is, hey, as far as we can tell, we can only investigate natural. As soon as somebody comes up with a way to investigate the supernatural, it will become a part of science. Unfortunately, for supernatural believers, that hasn't happened. And so they don't have any strong, epistemologically sound, methodological process to confirm the supernatural, which is why we spend our time talking about how we should just accept testimony until we can find a defeater for it. And that's just wrong. Yeah, I just, I just want to go back to, to the defeater that uh, Tom was talking about there. So, uh, Tom, essentially you're saying that if uh, that the fact that it cannot be demonstrated, it, just correct me because I don't want to misrepresent you, the fact that it cannot be demonstrated by nature is itself a defeat. Is that is that an accurate summary summary of your position? No, no. So again, so I'm not making the claim about nature here. I'm just saying sorry, that, observation. Yeah, is that what? Yeah, sorry. Go on. Well, sorry, if you're claiming that our testimony can give us knowledge. It is a reliable source of knowledge, and I'm saying that well, if we can demonstrate that isn't a reliable source of knowledge and that it fails a lot, mm -hmm. well, then that's a defeater for your justification of using that as a justification for knowledge. So if we can say the the methodology you're using that we accept testimony for god as being rational well that same uh, methodology was used to accept voodoo and homeopathy yeah. and that vaccines cause autism and the world is six thousand years old like all of those methodologies or all of those conclusions were came to from the same methodology and so we know now today right. from science that all those are wrong so we know that that methodology did not work it was not a good method to differentiate imagination from reality in the general sense for any case as far as we could tell right. and so using that in a different case saying well we're going to apply this methodology even though we know it fails in these cases we're going to apply it to this other kind of methodology and say what's well, reasonable here for that to be rational you would need to demonstrate why this methodology is somehow going to work in this case when it doesn't work in all of these other cases right so the first one is the the like 
what Matt brought up earlier, which I said I was going to deal with, which is the idea of this, you know, this competing uh, or, or inconsistent revelations that is that is there on the basis of testimony. And I think there are two ways in which you can approach this. The first way, of course, is that you approach this by saying, uh, well, we're we going to accept all of them, which again, it's, it's not logically possible because they fundamentally contradict one another. Uh, or you can say, let's accept the points of agreement that they all have in common, in which case uh, I would submit uh, is the view that there is a transcendent ground of reality, uh, what we call God. So uh, it doesn't matter whether they believe in God or God. The fact is they believe in the transcendent ground of all reality. So Except that, I that's, think that not the, that's, that's not the shared trait. The shared trait of those mm -hmm. is that human beings have experiences that they label in certain ways. The, you, you've, you've jumped past. The common feature is that human beings have experiences and human beings look for answers. And you jump past that to, say, to saying that no, no, the common feature is this transcendent experience or that, that there is something outside of there. The common experience is that human beings experience things. And another common experience is that human beings who experience things they don't understand propose all sorts of explanations for it. And the way to determine which explanations are more reasonable or not is based on evidence and argument, not on personal testimony. Right. Yeah. So just... just uh... To correct what I was saying, when I said experiences, I was referring to, I, I, I mean, I don't deny the fact that human beings have experiences. I was speaking in the context of religious experiences, which I defined in my opening statement. Uh, and I'm basically saying that on the basis of these religious experiences, uh, in the category of those things, the five categories that I laid out, uh, the things that they have in common is belief in God. I think this is something that you have experienced. Uh, that basically, I think Tom shared with me when, when, uh, on our channel as well, right, uh, Tom? Uh, yeah, I've had religious yeah. experiences too, okay. but I think, but there are cases like Buddhism and Jainism that don't have a God kind of experience, they have experience with just kind of like a karma thing. Sure, sure. So uh, I think that if you, if you go deeper into the study of religious experiences, there's actually a distinction between mystical experiences and religious experiences. And uh, I think that uh, Buddhism, an example, would, would fall into the mystical ones and not the religious ones. Now, there is a tendency to, the Pew Research, for example, uh, uh, combine the two. Uh, as both religious and mystical, but that's a that's a separate topic. The topic that I'm I'm trying to deal with is that uh, we're looking at this this different experiences that exist, and 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 we're saying that. Uh, sorry, Matt, you said something that I really wanted to respond to, and it just completely slipped my mind. Uh, what what's the what 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 did you say the last? <laughs> so. Oh. Oh yeah, I, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just your look, you know. Let's remember what you were saying. Okay, so uh, uh, what what I was trying to get at is that the question we've got to ask is: Is the belief formed in a reliable way? Now, you shared earlier that uh, you know that, for example, when you were intoxicated, uh, these things appeared real. But the defeater then is that the intoxication is leading to that, and we know that when we experience things in an intoxicated state, it's not reality directed. But I'm wondering that I know Richard Dawkins has raised this up, and uh, and and uh, I've looked, I've spent a lot of time. In fact, when I was doing my uh, MPH in Malaysia. Uh, I was actually working on the census divinitatis and looking at the cognitive science of religion research by the likes of Deborah Kellerman uh, and, uh, and 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 so forth, where they they they, they talk about how that children are intuitive theists. They they have a predisposition. They, they are hardwired. In the words of Paul Bloom from Yale University, all of these two are atheists. Uh, claim that there is a hardwiring uh, for towards religious tendencies. Uh, and I know that Daniel Dennett has, has done a bit of work on this as well. Uh, so it would seem to me that we're not doing what Tom said, which is just filling the gaps uh, and saying that since we cannot explain it, uh, we therefore attribute it to the divine. Rather, what we are saying is that 
the, the, what we find is that we are predisposed towards disbeliefs. The atheist is saying that, uh, you know, they, they have the same beliefs as well. They're just saying that it is not reality directed, that these things uh, don't prove that there is a God. But I'm just wondering that, uh, you know, the fact that it shows that this is what humanity at whole is hardwired towards itself would lend credibility to the fact that it could be reality directed and it's rational to believe in them. So, first of all, um, I, I, you and I would agree because I get people calling me all the time saying, you know, oh, have you tried DMT, dude? Because on DMT, you will finally experience God. And my question to them is always, you know, what makes you think that a brain altered by a chemical is somehow more accurate in its understanding of the totality of reality rather than less. You, you'd need to make a case for that. So I would agree. However, it would be wrong to say that, you know, like if, if a bunch of people said, hey, we took a drug and we all had this experience and it was the same and it pointed to this, it would be wrong to say that what they experienced wasn't true. I, I, I don't know how, despite what some people in chat are saying, I don't know how many times I can repeat the fact that I'm not, you know, in any way asserting that a God doesn't exist and that's not relevant to this debate. But sure. what human beings are hardwired for is pattern recognition. Human beings are hardwired to try to figure out the world. And in some cases, there's, there's different categories of errors. There's thinking X is the case when it's not, and thinking X is not the case when it is. And one of those two scenarios is far more dangerous. Like if there's a rustle in the bush and you think, ah, oh, that's not a tiger, and you just go sticking your head in the bush, that's gonna be more dangerous. And the person who thinks it's a tiger, even when it's just wind, is more likely to survive and pass on. So we are we we have been designed unintentionally, unguided through evolution to be the offspring of people who lip, leapt, you know, and, uh, who in many cases uh, ran away when there was no good reason for it, or who reached a wrong conclusion. Because reaching a wrong conclusion is not what we're actually selected for. As long as, you're, as long as it doesn't cause you to die, it's not a bad enough wrong conclusion. And so to say, suggest that human beings are hardwired towards the religious, I would argue is really, um, you might as well say human beings are hardwired towards not being comfortable with saying, I don't know what the right answer is, and therefore accepting whatever feels like the right answer at a given time, which is why we rely on people's testimony. Is, is, the, is it rational for me to believe there's a God just because my mom wrote me a letter? My mom, and this is a true story. My mom wrote me a letter that said, honey, your mom would not lie to you. There is a God. That's like the opening lines from my letter. Now, I, know, I don't believe my mom is, is a liar. I don't think she's making this up. So therefore, am I rational to believe in a God based on that letter? No, absolutely not. Okay, and so we need something more than, than testimonial stuff because my mom could tell me that, Jesus is real, and somebody else's moms could tell me that Allah is the, is the only prophet of God, et cetera. So we need something that actually gets down to, hey, this is evidence for a proposition, not merely, as I noted at the beginning, evidence consistent with a proposition. Testimony is consistent with everything. Yes, Faith yes, so. is not a path to truth. Absolutely. I so, think you guys are equivocating on testimony because in some cases you want to admit that testimony, you, you can walk six blocks in order to get to the restaurant. I explained this. Yeah, I, so testimony, all knowledge, as I said, and rational belief is fallible. It can, it can mislead you. It doesn't mean that we have a, excuse me, a basic grounds to be skeptical of testimony or of others. Now, you both said extraordinary claims require ex extraordinary evidence. It seems to me that really what you're saying is claims that are 
extraordinary to me require extraordinary evidence. Now, fine, relative to your data set, your background set of beliefs, you might require more evidence than another person. But again, the vast majority of people don't find these claims to be extraordinary, and you haven't shown anything to show that all people are irrational. And Tom has been just has been defending scientism. So this idea that science is somehow the key to unlock all of reality rather than simply reality that pertains to its domain of inquiry. And of course, scientism is self-defeating. I, I actually did do the thing maybe that you accused me of not doing. So when I spoke earlier, I pointed out that it that the, the claim extraordinary claims requires extraordinary evidence is us smuggling stuff in. And the truth is every claim requires however much is evidence is sufficient. It's just that some claims are more consistent with the facts of the world. The claim that there is a God is not consistent with the facts of the world. And it's not made consistent with the facts of the world merely because a lot of people happen to have believed it. That's not the way uh, epistemology works because when I say uh, for example, you're like, oh, you, you must demonstrate that all of these people are irrational. No. All I need to do is show that the individual reasons that they're giving are not sufficient to warrant a reasonable conclusion on that to others. That's it. And the fact of the matter is, if you have an experience and somebody else has an experience and you say that this is evidence for your God and they say it's evidence for their God, I have zero work to do. In the entire history of atheism, agnosticism, non-theism, free thinking, whatever, we've had to do no work because all we had to do to find out what was wrong with what religion is to, one religion is to let another religion tell us what was wrong with it because there is no consensus agreement. Uh, you wanna know what's wrong with the first Baptist church? Go to the second one, then go to the Catholic church, then go to the Jewish church. All atheists are doing is agreeing with all that. And the fact that yeah. somebody, somebody does not think that their, their belief is extraordinary, it, is irrelevant because they can be wrong about that. They need to show that their belief isn't extraordinary. And if in fact they're appealing to the supernatural, which has no supporting evidence, it cannot be confirmed, it leads to multiple different views, how can you say that's not extraordinary? Okay, well, I find your beliefs extraordinary, so I guess you need to demonstrate that they're not extraordinary to me. Sure. Now, now what, you wanna talk about- What belief of mine do you find extraordinary? Well, uh, the, the belief that you're defending that people can't be rational to believe in God, for example. I didn't say that rational people couldn't believe in God. The, the subject of this debate for like the third time, I don't know if you're, whatever, is sufficient reason to believe in God. Not whether and not I've argued. Be, not, not whether or not an argument. Can, no, not whether or not you can be rational and believe, but whether or not there is sufficient reason to believe in God. Yeah, and I've been providing that. So the fact that you don't, aren't persuaded by my testimony or Correct. by my argument does not mean you win. What you have to it, it do does, is to show- it, What it does mean is you need to show why testimony should be considered reliably sufficient to warrant reasonable belief. And you haven't done that. And we have oh. done things to show that testimony, is it possible for testimony to lead to true and false beliefs? Like everything is fallible. I already pointed that out. But everything isn't equally fallible. A coin toss is not as fallible as a die roll, which is not as fallible as a yardstick at measuring something. And so, so it depends who's giving the testimony. You're pretending that because everything is in, isn't, nothing is, is infallible, that all of a sudden we should rely on testimony. Well, a coin toss isn't infallible either, but I don't think we should rely on it. I don't think it's a path to reason. So demonstrate that testimony is more reliable than a coin toss. So the three-year-old shouldn't rely on their parents when their parents testify to them. The eight-year-old shouldn't rely on her teacher. The first-year physics student shouldn't rely on his professor. I mean, are you saying that all testimony we should be skeptical or only that which you've deemed extraordinary? 
No. Can I, can I jump in the, the testimony that how we should consider testimony is this is a guide. Where's the evidence supporting it? If a if a parent tells a child that left is right and right is left, that that doesn't make it true, and it doesn't mean that they're reasonable to support it. That, I, I can't believe I just asked you to demonstrate that testimony is more reliable than coin toss, and what I got was shouldn't parents listen to their kids? That's not even. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. So, uh, Randall, you accused me of scientism, and I wanted to to address that really quick. So, sure. I'm definitely not arguing for scientism. I'm not saying that empirical verification is the only way to knowledge. I'm specifically using science as a way to demonstrate that testimony is not reliable in certain cases. So, I agree that testimony is good in some cases. It's totally fine. Like having the kid believe their parents that the house is six blocks down. That's fine. It's not fine if their parent says that they should believe based on testimony that. Um, the universe is made of flying pixies. Like that's not reasonable. Or that vaccines cause autism. So vaccines that's why it's not autism. going to vaccinate you. Yeah, exactly. So, so there are some cases where testimony is good and some cases where testimony is bad. And the way we can differentiate between these two is by using a different method, the method of science. We can say, well, we can scientifically test, well, is the house six blocks down? Yes, it is. Okay, so that's reasonable to believe based on testimony. We can test, do vaccines cause autism? No, they don't. That's not reasonable to believe based on testimony. And so we can categorize the two different things and, and give a specific definition of extraordinary of saying that the ones that can be verified by science, the things that have an empirical basis are reasonable to believe based on testimony. The ones that cannot are not reasonable to believe based on testimony. So, and, and that's not just my criteria. That's the criteria of historians who the vast majority of historians agree that history can't evaluate miracles, magic, mythical creatures, et cetera. And the, the, the topic system. is not miracles, magic, pixies no, 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 or anything no. else. The topic no, no, no. is whether whether it's God not. is defined exists right. and so whether it's rational to believe that. And how does science provide overriding evidence to make it irrational to believe in God? I want to mention so that I'm we're not, going to go we're going to go into the Q&A pretty quick here. So okay. I want to let you guys know if, if one side is willing to defer to the other to let them have the last word, uh, we will go into Q&A within the next five minutes. Well, I, I, on the on the, well, I've had more than enough words. I just find it strange that when Tom talks about um, supernatural stuff and everything else, Randall wants to say that's not what this debate is about. Well, the supernatural has more to do with God than parents telling kids to to look both ways before crosses the street it has to do with the general reliability of testimonial evidence. You got it, and. Does everybody right. uh, feel like, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I hate interrupting, but I, I think at the same time, it's, I know you've got probably a round in the chamber ready to fire, but at some point we should probably jump in. And so... Uh, I, did, I just want to clarify, it's still not scientism. Like my argument, I'm not arguing that empirical verification is the only way to knowledge. I'm just using empirical verification to delineate which kinds of testimony are good and which kinds are bad. If there's another method in addition to that, that is not in conflict with anything I said, there could be a different way to assess the truth of the claims, and that would be good evidence. But the testimony isn't it. I like the fact that all all of us were nodding along with Tom right then. So maybe we found the one thing that we can tie to for Q&A for agreement. Gotcha. And who knows, maybe around two, maybe in person someday, once uh, things kind of settle down and travel gets going again. This has been a really fun time. So we're going to try to read through as many questions as we can. Want to want to say thanks so much. Appreciate all of your questions, super chats, and comments. And first one from Matthew Anderson, appreciate it, said, TJ Ahunty. Thanks, James. I appreciate that. Kind of like Brad Jelena. I like that. I thought these were great teams, and I, I was so glad in the chat. A lot of people were saying, like, this is, this is a really cool uh, debate. I couldn't agree more. Dave 
Dalifior, thanks for your super chat, said, James, congrats on the success of the channel. Well, I have to say all credit to the speakers. They are what makes it fun here. So we're excited about today's debate. This is a, a really good one. And Apple Pie, thanks for your super chat, said, question for Tom. Who do you think has the best facial hair? And hi, James. That's a, I don't. Do they mean uh, best facial hair in the de, in the debate, or do they mean ever, no, Tom? It, it's it's clearly James. James has the best facial hair. Thank you, Thomas. I've never heard that. I appreciate that. Josh Killian, thanks for your super chat. Said, uh, just gave a super chat. No comment. Let me know if you you want to add one. Andrew Handelsman, thanks for your super chat. Said, hope all is well, everyone. Well, you too, Andrew. We hope you're healthy and well. Joshua White, thanks for your super chat, said, oh, this is an interesting one. Okay, so he said, for each side, is it a problem that philosophical argumentation seems to address the probability of a generic God well, commonly argued by believers of a specific God? I think they mean, I'm not sure if they mean, like, is it a logical coherence problem or, or something, maybe an ethical problem? But what do you guys think about that? We can hear from everybody on this if you have an opinion. Yeah, well, I, I, I would, sorry, I'll, I'll just uh, be quick. So I, I think from my perspective, many arguments for God's existence are arguments that are for God, not surprisingly, under a particular definition, often the perfect being, theology definition, or classical theism. And those kinds of definitions would identify properties that are that underdetermine a particular religious view. So, for example, they may be consistent with Judaism, Islam, Christianity, but they'd be inconsistent with non-theistic views of the world and like pantheistic views, et cetera. So I don't see any problem with arguments like that being part of a cumulative case for a religious perspective, that they provide some ground to understand a particular definition of God while underdetermining the exact religious nature of that view. I think I think the major argument is that one thing atheists like to bring up against theists is, well, why are you arguing for this just general kind of a God and not your specific kind of a God? And depending on what the goal of the debate is, then that can be an underheaded tactic, like you're trying to shift the burden, like a, a Moat and Bailey fallacy, where you're trying to address the more common, easier thing rather than addressing the actual point. But if the goal of the debate is just a general God as the topic, then there's not actually an issue there. Gotcha. Any thoughts from anybody else? You got it. Thanks so much. Appreciate your super chat from Joshua. Let's see. Oh, we got that. Justin Maurer, PhD in Pine Creek Studies. Thanks to your super chat. Says, I was raised, this is kind of a, similar to an objection that came up, and uh, but more in the kind of common times. So I think the objection that came up was about if people, let's say, believed in the like the Greek pantheon in the past, were they justified in believing it or were they rational in believing it? This person says, I was raised to believe in a supreme transcendent spaghettiness, spaghetti monster, I'm, I'm guessing, maybe one and the same, and have never seen a defeater. Am I rational in my continued belief today? No, uh, absolutely not. Because again, uh, I don't think we are talking about claims necessarily, even though uh, I think Matt and I spend a lot of time discussing claims. We're talking about experiences that are held, not just by a select group of people. We're talking about religious experience that are held by Tom and Matt, myself, and basically the vast majority of the people in the world, not just in the known world, but uh, you know, we've, uh, we, we've realized that religion is everywhere. If you go to the jungles of Africa or the jungles of South America, you find religious tendencies. And uh, that's why I've taken a, a keen interest in the work of Deborah Kellerman uh, and uh, Paul Bloom. Uh, from Yale uh, on uh, the cognitive science of religion and to treat religion as uh, a, a cognitive phenomenon. Why is it that we seem hardwired towards religion 
uh, and belief in God, agency, and so forth, and not, for example, spaghetti monsters and, and, and stuff like that. So uh, what, what, what I'm saying essentially is this, that uh, when, you, when you see that the belief is formed uh, in, in a reliable way, for example, the same traits that tell us, you know, that a rustling, and in, in, to use Matt's analogy, the rustling in the, in the bushes uh, indicate uh, there is a genuine threat of a predator and that it's rational to run whether or not there is an actual predator. The, 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 it's, 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 it's rational to run when you, when you see things like that. Uh, I think in the same way, in the same sense, uh, it is rational to trust our sense of divinity, which we have, uh, and to basically believe there is a God out there. Again, I mentioned in my opening statement, this is not a proof that there is a God. And I think both Matt and I are in agreement in this. Uh, but whether it is reliable, whether it is a, a rational position to believe on the basis of the sense that we have, uh, I think it is. And uh, I don't think that, uh, with all due respect to Tom, I don't think that uh, the defeater that he brought up uh, actually challenges that at all. So yeah. I'm sure that we'll, we'll make to differ. So the thing that, that you overlook in addressing that particular analogy is that if I'm standing in front of a bush and the bush rustles, I have to make a decision right now. It's now life or death. And so it, in that situation, that is a factor where it may be the most rational thing for me to do is to move away from that bush rather than going into that bush. That's not directly analogous to what we have to do with respect to whether or not there's a God. First of all, there's nothing prohibiting us from trying to investigate. It's not like going to see where the evidence is for God is going to result in my immediate demise, right? If, if I go in the bush to try and find out and I'm not equipped with like body armor and weapons or whatever else, I'm putting myself at risk. I'm not putting myself at any risk to try to find a God. And a God doesn't put itself at risk at all by stepping out of the bushes and saying, hey, it's okay, it's me. The analogy falls apart there. And, and it is the, the notion that we don't have to make a decision immediately based on insufficient information. That is not rational. That's why the, the, that analogy doesn't line up with the realities about God claims. Right, can, uh, uh, is it all right for me to follow up? Uh, or do you want to go to the next? Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear Randall's answer, because is it sure. rational under properly basic beliefs to believe in the spaghetti monster if you're brought up being taught it? Yeah, so first of all, of course, the historical origin of the Flying Spaghetti Monster was a, a letter to the editor and then a book written by a fellow named Bobby Henderson back in 2005. And it was a parody and was intended initially as a parody of intelligent design theory and then later on morphed into a parody of religion generally. And actually, the book is, is quite fun, The Gospel According to the Flying Spaghetti Monster. But uh, rhetorically, the function of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is, of course, there is no such belief community uh, formal belief community of people who actually believe this. There are people who call themselves pacifarians and they will wear colanders on their heads. But so far as I can see, what's intended as is a parody of religion. So is it possible that there could be various different religious movements that develop over time and develop a reflective equilibrium of how to interpret the world that includes doctrines that relative to my way of view, looking at the world appear extraordinary? Sure. Naturalism appears extraordinary to me. And some versions of naturalism even more so than others. Reductive naturalism appears very extraordinary. But I don't think that anything significant follows from that fact. It just means, again, that we all can have uh, a particular way of interpreting the world. And uh, to some degree, plausibility, or ex ex that which is extraordinary, is relative to that context and that person. So, so, so just to clarify, if the 
Pastafarianism was a real religion that people genuinely believed, and they brought up their kids believing in Pastafarianism, then it would be rational for the children to believe in the flying spaghetti monster. Based on could be, it could be until they had defeaters for it. Yeah, just like it could be reasonable for a child to be raised to believe something as extraordinary as naturalism, until there's some given some good defeaters for it. Now, there's kind of a, a smile Tom has here, and again, I think that smile belies the sense uh, that you are projecting your particular plausibility framework upon everybody else and thinking, well, if people who don't believe as I do or interpret the world as I do are just kind of silly. And I think that's a little bit of a provincial perspective, to be honest. We do have to keep moving. Dave Gar, thanks for your super chat, said, the restaurant is closed due to COVID-19. Sorry to hear about that, Dave Gar. Uh, Tioga, thanks for your super chat, said, do Christians, this is kind of like the question we just covered, do Christians care about other religious experiences? And I'm, unless you guys interpret it as different, we can keep moving if you'd like, if you feel like we've said enough. But if you want, you can keep, okay. Uh, Nico Blast, thanks. Well, I'll just, can I just say one thing? I do have a chapter on that in a book, my next book I have coming out. I do think that Christians shouldn't ignore uh, religious experience that doesn't fit into their plausibility framework because they could be guilty of a confirmation bias, right? Of just looking at evidence that supports their views and ignoring evidence that doesn't. So we do have to take it seriously. You got it. Thanks for that. And also thanks to Nico Blast. Appreciate your super chat. Said Paul had painful sight, head pain, debilitation. For several days, that matches a seizure. Okay, it might also match. It, all, it might also match an actual experience with God. Now, now you got to figure out which one is, is it more reasonable to conclude a seizure? I would say so, since we have evidence for seizures. But this is this is a bad argument that I suggest atheists stop using because it unnecessarily adopts a burden of proof that you can't meet. Just showing that and experience is consistent with something is exactly what the opposition is trying to do. So why do it? Gotcha. And Martin B, thanks for your super chat, said, sitting with my notebook waiting for one single good reason to believe in God. Is it coming soon? Got a critic out there for atheist friends. Uh, let's see. You don't have to respond to all these. I'll keep moving. Dwayne Burke, thanks for your super chat, said, if you want to disprove Jesus as God, all you have to do is disprove the supernatural, the prophecies, the unknown knowledge, and Bible codes. Good luck, atheists. Wait, I, what Good Bible code? I don't, I'm not sure. There's uh, a there's a I'm theory not, that if you I know, I, I'm analyze, aware of it. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny where if you analyze certain books with theories, you can find complete sentences that are just hidden in code. I think there were a couple the, books written in the 90s. Uh, one was called The Bible Code by Michael Drosnan, and another was The Signature of God by Robert Jeffries. Uh, but I think this person's being facetious, and yeah. I certainly wouldn't take that seriously. Bible codes. I think you're just it's kind of like backmasking when you listen to Led Zeppelin backwards and you can hear Satan talking. It's very highly subjective. It wouldn't surprise me to find that some of these, like, there's there's Poe's law about, you know, there's nothing you can say that couldn't have been said by somebody who holds a, a I think some of these people may be uh, disingenuous Trolls. in their question, but, or at least I hope so. I, I'm, I'm always trying to be optimistic that, that it's not as bad as it seems. Next up, appreciate, oh, by the way, uh, new subscribers, thanks, Guy, uh, let me know if I mispronounce, Guy, Gaido Gianti, thanks for your super uh, subscribing today. Thank you. 
Nico Dig, thanks for subbing, and uh, Jelly Roll, Mitchell Jackson, and JT Hunley. We hope you feel welcome. We're a neutral platform, so we really do, whether you come from Christian, atheist, whether you be gay, straight, you name it, no matter what walk of life you come from, we do hope you feel welcome here. And with that, jumping into the next question, appreciate your super chat from Bothell Guy who says, I saw God die. I have no more evidence for this claim than you have for your God. Is it rational to believe me just because I claimed it? You see, uh, that, that to me uh, would be a really good example of something we have a defeater for. Namely, if you def- it, again, it goes back to how you define God, right? If, if you define God as this uncaused, uh, you know, timeless, uh, eternal being, then you have a natural defeater within that, that, uh, you know, a, an eternal being cannot possibly die. So I, I think that, that that itself is a natural defeater already. So I, and, and that's it, what, that's what I was looking for. Can, Sorry? Can, can God die if he wants to? Uh, it, it would depend. If in his eternal nature, I don't think he can, right? I mean, otherwise you'd have to redefine what eternal, eternal, eternality yeah. means. Right? I, I was having a bit of fun, Samuel. I, 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 I'm always just having <laughs> a bit of fun there. Uh, with with the burrito thing. <laughs> gotcha. And thanks for your super chat from appreciate it. Tioga, who said, thank you for the content, uh, for continuing to have these conversations. We'll thank the debaters. Uh, the pleasure is all ours to have them. It's always fun. And they are linked in the description, as I mentioned. Let's see. FT, thanks for your super chat, said, thank you, Tom, Randall, Matt, and Sam for having these discussions. Can you, this is an interesting question too. They said, can you give some advice on the epistemic crisis in America regarding politics and fake news within politics? I'll defer to Randall for the Christian side. <laughs> well, uh, I think that uh, I've been horrified to, to see the evangelical support for Donald Trump. Uh, I, I would argue that he's a proto-fascist and I, I don't say that as a, just an insult. I mean, I think you can go down the kind of behaviors he's, in going, he's enjoining, such as demonizing the media and, and the um, use of the military most recently, all sorts of things, and I think that's very concerning. I don't think Christians should ever get behind any particular political party or platform because that never ends well. I'd like to say that I agree with Randall, and I'm encouraged that there's something that we vehemently agree on, and that is that our current president of the United States is garbage, and in my position, and in my opinion, uh, absolutely misused his power and turned his own troops on peaceful protesting Americans using, uh, I'll put air quotes around tear gas since he wants to claim it wasn't tear gas, in order to disperse them so that he could march down and have a photo op holding up a Bible uh, because he thinks Americans are stupid enough to buy that. And I genuinely hope we're not, but I'm betting that we are and that you'll see another four years of Trump. Tom, any words? Nope. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. Thanks. I'd, I'd, get, I'd have tipped you 20 bucks if you just said MAGA right then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Thanks for your super chat from Roy Stigall. Appreciate it. Said, does the theist word salad come in blue cheese wedge? I'm not sure they even listen to Tom and Matt. Randall and Sam, can you steel man their position you have a challenge there. Go ahead, uh, Randall and I, Sam. I, I can try and steel man a part of it, and that is in the absence of actual supporting physical evidence and in the absence of something 
uh, similar evidence that would show that this belief is false, it is rational for someone to accept the direct experience and testimonial experience of others with respect to the, the notion that a God exists. That is, is how I would sum up what they've hit. They were asking us to, to steel man the theist position? No, vice versa, I believe. I think it was oh. vice versa. But Yeah, they were saying okay. that, that we, uh, the uh, commenter was saying that we straw manned your position did not actually listen to you or respond to it and was asking us now to steal. Clearly, me. I didn't listen to the question and then straw man the question and answered it on my own. So I'm guilty and you're innocent. You did not. What you actually did is exhibit a commitment to steel manning. You, you ennobled yourself even as I continue to look like a straw man in the eyes of that audience member. So can you steel man our position, Randall? Uh, I think that that you've done a good job of presenting your position. And I think I've offered relevant criticisms to the position. Gotcha. And, and I, I don't think I, I don't think I foisted a, a, a fake, a false view on you. Well, I, mean, I know that Matt didn't like me using the term atheist um, in a particular context. I, I think people disagree. That's an essentially contested term. People disagree about well, how uh, it is Randall, used. Randall, he was yeah. specifically asking, like, can you steel man our position? Like, try to rephrase our position in the most accurate way possible. Yeah, okay, well, so, for example, you took a position that you believe that science uh, is the provided the best explanation for uh, and such, you, you said that religious beliefs are imaginary and science provides the best tool to understand them. And I, I don't agree with that, but I understand how people can find science compelling. Um, I think that both of you, you are rightly suspicious of testimony to the degree that it can mislead. Uh, but of course, I did say that testimony is fallible. So I think that, that there actually is a fair amount of agreement on various points even if there's overall disagreement. Gotcha. And thanks for your super chat from Ansi Sorvisto. Appreciate it. Asked, where is the verification for this reality plus? And is there a way to discern between make-believe and this expansion of existence? So one way to think about, uh, to, to respond is to, is to point out some classic epistemological observations that, for example, our experience of the world underdetermines whether what is called realism is true, namely whether there is a, a world external to the mind or whether idealism is true. But the fact that you cannot ultimately settle the question of whether idealism or realism is true does not mean you can't have good grounds to believe or accept realism, or that a person could have good grounds to accept idealism. Gotcha. And thanks for your super chat from Sigifredo Sarabia. Good to see you again. Said you, uh, atheist, are designed unintelligibly. And they attribute that quote, to, if I understand right, they are attributing that quote to Matt. Uh, let's see. Yeah, so earlier when I was talking about that, we have been designed by the unguided process of evolution. Uh, I'm sorry that they don't pick up on, you know, hey, I'm using a word in a colloquial humorous sense, uh, because I specifically pointed out when I said the sentence that it is an unguided process. So I use this specifically because people will point to things and say, look, it's designed. And I will say, no, the appearance of design is not actually designed. And we, we, I actually did this dance today and, and sent the thing to, to Tom before we started, because somebody posted like, uh, two pictures of like uh, a beach, beach ball. ball and a globe and a car engine and a heart. And the ones on this side were, were like, oh, not designed, 
according to atheists and the ones on this were designed according to atheists. And I'm like, that's because for the ones on this side, all of the available evidence points to them actually being designed and having designers and no evidence points to them occurring naturally. And the, the reverse is true for the other side. These things occur naturally and there's no evidence explicitly for design. And so, you know, if you want to make that case, cool. Uh, but it's not like we're holding up some standard that's what we do to, to, to confirm design is to contrast it with that which is naturally occurring. I don't know how else you could do it, because if you want to say that that which naturally occurs is also designed, then you might as well just be saying everything's designed. And how do you prove that? There's no there's no reason to have any argument then, because it's just an assertion that everything's designed. Gotcha. And Sigifredo Sarabia, thanks for your other super chat, said, Tom, let's see. I think if, if this is relevant enough to the topic, we'll let you guys clarify if there's actually a discrepancy. So they said, Matt agrees there's no answer to solipsism. So I ask you, can science prove the world was not created five minutes ago or that your brain is actually in a vat? It takes experience to answer. Or if it takes experience to answer, wouldn't it be irrational if arbitrary? Uh, it can't prove with absolute certainty, but it can provide evidence. So we have justifiable reasons to conclude we're not just a brain in a vat. Um, does it give us absolute certainty? No, but it doesn't need to. Gotcha. And Luminiferous, Ethan, thanks for your super chat, said, Randall and Sam, I get sleep paralysis. Every few months I wake up and paralyzed and see shadowy figures poking about my apartment and whispering. Then they vanish. Is it rational to believe that they're real? Is experience enough? This has actually already come up earlier with the discussion of the Apostle Paul and whether we should interpret the Apostle Paul as having had a seizure. Um, I would say, first of all, I would say is, is this, that if somebody experiences sleep paralysis of that kind, um, and well, one of the first factors to keep in mind is what is their background set of beliefs about the world? If they believe there is a supernatural realm, it may be consistent and rational for them to believe that there could be demonic agencies that are acting through the mechanism of sleep paralysis. If they are an atheist or a naturalist and they believe there are no such beings, I would think based upon that evidence, that would be insufficient for them to believe that there were demons. But of course, it would also depend to some degree on the nature of the vividness of the experience, uh, kind of like, again, back to Ellie Arroway and her experience in the film Contact. Gotcha. And thanks so much for your super chat from Stupid Whore Energy strikes again and says God or gods and things like that are objectively extraordinary. If I told you I flew like Superman to get to work yesterday, you would find that harder to swallow than me saying I took the bus to work. I think that's a false analogy. I agree that uh, because we do know aspects about what human beings are and how we propel ourselves through space, that is an extraordinary claim. I deny that relative to theists and the perspective of most people, frankly, on planet Earth, the uh, belief in God is an extraordinary claim in a relevantly analogous sense. Gotcha. And thanks so much from... Sigifredo Sarabia for your super chat said, Samuel, doesn't the argument of religious experience follow if you presuppose God and must be, quote, religious, unquote. Why does it have to be a, quote, religious, unquote, experience? Because we're talking in the context of 
God, I, I'm basically, we, we all have, I mean, I completely agree with Matt that we all have experiences all the time. In fact, you're watching this debate, you're experiencing this debate as well, right, through your cognitive faculties. Um, but the, the question of whether we can go ahead and trust God's existence is not really a presupposition. I didn't employ a presuppositionalist view. Neither did I make the claim that therefore God exists on the basis of these uh, uh, religious experiences. What I'm saying is that in the presence of these religious uh, experiences, uh, and, and coupled, of course, and in, throughout the discussion we had with Matt, I brought up, for example, the research in the cognitive science of religion that shows that human beings are hardwired towards belief in God. I'm just basically arguing there's a rational grounds to basically saying that since this is not something that, uh, you know, someone is just basically intoxicated believing in it, this is something we're doing in a steady state of mind. We have reason to trust that in the absence of defeaters. Remember the two principles I raised, principle of credulity and the principle of testimony, which was also raised by uh, Randall. And I'm saying on the basis of that, we have good reasons to believe rationally that God exists, right? So uh, yeah, that, I think that, that's, that's pretty much what we were trying to make, the, the, the claims we were making. Gotcha. And thanks for your super chat from uh, just many, many A's in a row. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Next, they said, uh, so they have a string of super chats here. I'll read a number of them in a row. Said, Matt and T-Jump, ultimate tag team combo. Glad you enjoyed their teaming up. And then I'm waiting for my call from Vince McMahon. <laughs> then they <laughs> said, Matt, I've learned a ton from you on, uh, I've learned a ton from you. Thank you. They also said, Matt, you changed my life for reals. You the bomb. And also said, uh, James, there is another ghost behind you. Be careful. They, I think they're referring to my the cat, Echo. Uh, but yes, so you have a fan there, Matt. And Cool. Appreciate it. Not relevant to the debate, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Roy, Roy Lindsay, thanks for your super chat. Who said, cool debate. I couldn't agree more, Roy. This has been a really fun one. And Michelle Eggleston, thanks for your super chat said, if a physics student doesn't believe their professor, they can run experiments to validate the claim. What can an atheist do to validate theism? Uh, do you want to tackle that, Randall, or shall I? So that was that's directed to us? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, not a physicist, uh, a physics student may not be able to corroborate the teacher. Um, whatever the teacher is talking about, they may, for example, for example, you may have to go to the CERN laboratory, or you may lack the uh, cognitive abilities to fully be able to develop an experience that you teach it. So you actually do have to trust your teachers. There's actually at my church, uh, there's a fellow named Axel Holine who was on the uh, Nobel Prize Committee for Particle Physics. And believe me, I talked, now I'm, I haven't studied much physics, but I talked to him for two minutes and he's lost me. Um, but in terms of, of testing, well, I, I would suggest this person read philosophy of religion because there's an extensive literature between theists and atheists, each one providing arguments and evidence for their particular interpretation of the world. Gotcha. And Michael W. Robo, thanks for your super chat, said, question for Randall. You were talking about ultimates and absolutes and appear to be taking a hard line on definitions. Are you a follower of Darth Dawkins? <laughs> No, I, I do think it's important to have clear definitions. I don't know what hard definition is. I mean, we can see if we have clear definitions, then we recognize where people are using terms in slightly different ways, as for example, Matt and I did. And then you can uh, avoid talking past one another and leading to confusion. So I, I like good clear definitions. 
Gotcha. In this time, Frustrated Atheist, thanks for your super chat, for Samuel said, so are you saying that a belief in a general concept of a deity is reasonable? If so, sure, but why? I think we've presented reasons why. Uh, namely, for example, I think Randall has presented the argument from properly basic beliefs, and I've presented the argument that it's reasonable to trust uh, our experiences. I think this is not something that is... Uh, uh, it's not a debatable or disputable. I mean, it's not something that I think is really that contentious. We trust our experience all the time. And in response to the previous questions, sure, when it comes to physical things that you know a class teacher teaches, you can go out and test it. But how do you do that with history? How do you do that with uh, consciousness? How do you do that with uh, there are lots of things that are not there that that, that you can believe that are not uh, tied to the natural world and and. Clearly, when we talk about God, we, we no, none of us believe that God is a natural entity. So I think it's a categorical error to try and say to, to use the same method, or at least it's not analogous to testing out a physical experience because uh, a, phys a physical uh, experiment because God is not a physical being. Right now, uh, you can use that and say, well, that's a dodge. You know, you're dodging because you've made God in that way. But that's always been the way we've defined God, right? God I, is that. That's. A, I, the fact that this is always the way we define God, it's like the people who try to want to fault science because God has been defined in such a way that science can't investigate it. Therefore, it's a problem with science. I mean, Randall was asked how these atheists, how Tom and I can actually confirm the existence of God. And instead, he just says, well, maybe if you don't have access to the to the physics experiment stuff, you should just have to trust your teacher. And I'm saying, no, that's still not how it works. Just because you have a physics professor who's relaying information to you and you don't have access to CERN doesn't mean you merely have to take your teacher's word for it because it's not the teacher's word that's relevant. It's the data that they're presenting, how reliable it is, how independently reproducible it is. That's the way science works. And we no, still didn't get an answer for what for what Tom and I should need to do to confirm a God. That's not what I said. What I said was in the example the person gave uh, where the, the student, the you know, first year physics student could just go ahead and test whatever their professor, who's a world-class Nobel Prize winning physicist says in the classroom, that's silly. Uh, there are the vast majority of things where that first year student has to accept what their teacher says. The next thing I pointed out was nope. that if you actually want to look at arguments for God's existence, there's a vast literature in the philosophy of religion uh, that are debating both atheists, uh, theists, and various other perspectives, and they're all providing arguments, and you can go ahead and look at those arguments and see whether you find them compelling. Cool. Still got it wrong and still no answer. Right. Uh, just, I just want to respond to Matt if that's all right. Uh, I really think sometimes the way, we, the, the, the way in which we, the question is phrased, uh, and I think that Matt would completely agree with me on this. You know, For example, if I asked you, Matt, uh, you know, what was, what, who was the creator of the universe? If you claim there is no creator, who is the creator of the universe? You would rightly say uh, that question is, is a convoluted one, right? It's, it's, it's not a helpful question. The question itself is quite poisoning the well because it assumes there needs to be a creator for the world. I mean, you, you would agree with me. So I say, I think that when you, someone basically comes and says, you know, how do you test God? That's not a very helpful question because God is not repeatable and testable like the other things of nature. Why, why would anybody, why should anybody believe something that isn't testable because it's immediate and intuitive to us that's what i mean i think that if you no matter whether you're in the jungles of africa matt or whether you are in uh you know 
uh, the, you're a scientist, or no matter what you are, belief of God, belief in God is something that is immediate, natural, and intuitive. It's tell something that, to that you and I uh, Matt, tell, Matt, that, let me finish, tell that to the paraha. Let, let, let me let me finish, Matt. So it's something okay. that you and I can experience, and it's something that you you and Tom both have claimed you've experienced. Both of you have said that you know uh, that uh, well, you know, we don't trust what we have experienced. That's fine, but for those of us who do, we have rational grounds for doing so. You have not presented any defeaters for those. So in the absence of any, I'm not saying there aren't, please hear me carefully. I'm saying that in the absence of those defeaters, we are absolutely rational in going ahead and believing in, in that God. That's all we're saying. We do have some comedic relief. <laughs> Thanks for your super chat from uh, many, many A's in a row. Said in a number of super chats, they're in a great mood today. Said, should I order pizza? Yes or no? Need advice? Yes, you definitely should. I hope it doesn't sound arrogant when I say... I am the greatest man in the world. Love Biblioteca. Thank you for all of those super chats. Tioga said, bring, bring the kitten back. Appreciate that. She's sweet. Frustrated Atheist, thanks for your super chat. Said, for Randall, why does the experience have to be religious? A religious one? Why does the experience have to be a religious one from a religion that is well established? That just seems like you are making things up. I haven't restricted, we haven't restricted our discussion at all to a particular religion. We've looked He's at talking about the Pastafarian one where he said, he said Pastafarianism was a, not a real religion. Yeah. And, and everything oh. you said about it was based on a fact finding mission to the origins of it as if, as if that somehow acts as any sort of response at all. If, if we didn't have that information, if somebody had just been presented with these blank spaghetti monster, uh, how do you, how do, you know, the fact that I can't demonstrate that Christianity was an invented fiction in the fourth century by the Pope and the Masons, which is what some, I will admit, batshit crazy conspiracists theorists think, but the fact that I can't show that doesn't change it. So the fact that you know what the origin of this is, uh, it isn't relevant to whether or not it's rational to somebody, because you yourself have already uh, made it clear that the determining factor of whether or not it, something is rational is based entirely on what you personally believe. As I so I, I think it is relevant as I pointed out that the rhetorical function when people invoke the flying spaghetti monster is as a parody religion as in, intended to parody, and then I made the point which is an important legitimate point that yes you could be as I said an atheist you could be a naturalist and teach your child as let's say Richard Dawkins famously talked about in one of his essays all sorts of things that I believe to be extraordinary, and yet uh, that child could be justified in believing them until they have some reason some good defeaters to doubt the testimony of their parents. We don't have too many questions left, so we'll try to speed through these last ones and then uh, let our speakers go. We really appreciate their time. They are linked in the description, as I've mentioned, in case you have not seen that yet. And thanks for your super chat from I, someone. Let's see. Uh, they corrected me. They said it's not pronounced. Ah, you're supposed to say all the A's in a row. It's a <laughs> lot of them. They said uh, for you, James, you're the real MVP setting this up. I'm out. Thanks for your kind words. And again, all credit to the speakers. This has been a blast. Space Cat, thanks for your super chat, said, Randall, do you think it's rational to believe the Bible over the evidence for evolution? And what about flat Earth? Should you believe in the... Uh, and then they, uh, they said, where do you draw the line for irrational beliefs and why? Uh, I think I, I accept neo-Darwinian evolution. I don't think that it's inconsistent with Genesis 1 to 3. Genesis 1 to 3 are ancient cosmogonic creation narratives written in the accommodated understanding of people in the ancient Near Eastern world. I don't think that they're intended to reveal to us 20th or 21st century science, let alone who knows where science will be in the 25th century. 
So I accept the consensus of evolutionary account of human origins until it's been shown to be false. Gotcha. And thanks for your super chat. FT said, can you explain to Mr. Otto Pants that you can use facts about the world to get moral judgments? Is there's an is ought gap? Uh, gotcha. Thanks for that. Adam Kennedy. I think Otto Pants is a person in the chat they were debating with. Adam Kennedy, thanks for your super chat. Said, Theists, have you seriously looked at the arguments for the Catholic Church having the correct interpretations of the Bible? What is unconvincing to you? Yeah, I've actually had debates with a good friend of mine, Trent Horn, who's a well-known Catholic apologist, but uh, that's a little bit beyond the purview as to why I'm not a Catholic. Gotcha. And Frustrated Atheist, thanks for your super chat, said, For Matt, playing devil's advocate, if I'm holding to a deity without saying you have to believe, can I be reasonable to hold that position? It's interesting that we picked the word reasonable there. I, I will answer your question briefly and the rest of it's tied up in in the closing remark that i'm going to make um whether or not you are reasonable is determined by whether or not your belief and the justification for it are consistent with the facts of the world not just what's in your head and it doesn't matter whether you're trying to con whether you're trying to say i need to believe as, as well the only thing that matters is are you asking me if you're reasonable which you just did and so then I must use the criteria that I have to determine whether or not you're reasonable. Gotcha. And thanks for your super chat. Ronald Bendanka said superhero cast and moderator. Appreciate that. This has been a one of my favorites. I've just honestly loved it. Shane Pierce, thanks for your super chat. We have only two left, including this one. Said Ellie's camera recorded nine hours of footage during those two seconds in the movie Contact. Interesting. It didn't show anything. Um, as I recall, there was this kind of uh, garbled. Right. But the fact that there were nine hours of it in that tiny space is the point that somebody is making. Yeah, that but there... uh, yeah, it's a good point. But whether yeah. or not there is nine hours sort of underdetermines the issue that the vividness of her experience could have been something that could allow her to believe it, even if uh, others were not justified in doing so. Gotcha. And J.L. Warren, thanks for your super chat, said, Matt, your lack of nicotine has made you powerful. Let the precision and snark flow through you. I <laughs> appreciate that. You've got another okay. fan out there. Let's see. I think that is it for today. Let me just, oh, we had one last one come in, said, uh, thanks for your super chat. JPP3030 said, good show. Thank you, James, and to all the speakers. Well, thank you for hanging out with us. Gentlemen, want to say thanks so much. Wait, Matt, did you say you wanted to do a closing? Oh, were we not? We can do that. I, I just had a couple comments for like a minute or so. I didn't know. Gotcha. Go ahead, Matt. We can do a final thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. I'll go first, and that, that'll give everybody else time to do this, and then they can say whatever they want. That's fair. And then I won't have the last word. I have a friend who refuses to debate a version of this topic. Uh, he won't debate, is belief in God rational? That's not what this topic was today, despite the fact that we heard that many, many times, talking about rational, talking about reasonable. The subject of this debate was, is there sufficient reasons to believe in God? And, and that, that presumes reasonableness and that we are going to be presented with specific reasons. So can you be rational and believe in God? Sure. Does that mean that your belief in God is rational? Yeah, maybe. The reason my friend avoids debating this topic is because it is entirely possible for someone to argue that as long as the model is internally consistent, it's rational. 
And so then if you have somebody who knows nothing other than they've been told this and they've been told that and, the, and, and this is true, they might as well believe that too, that that becomes rational. This is what we've seen throughout this in the sense that Randall was essentially advocating that the rational is based on what you already believe. And I would argue that the reasonable is based on the best understanding. It's about what we understand, the bulk of humanity. It's not like it's reasonable to believe that the earth is flat, but it may be rational to believe that the earth is flat. If you're saying, I only have these three pieces of evidence and I haven't looked at anything else, all of a sudden it's rational, but it's never reasonable. And you don't have good reasons to believe the earth is flat. The defeaters for Simon's belief until defeated are, A, people can be wrong in, the, in their description and understandings of their experience and what they're attributing it to. That method of direct experience and people reporting has no demonstrable, no demonstrably reliable efficacy. The experience leads to conflicting beliefs and the method has no reliability and demonstrated unreliability. Those are the defeaters for it. It doesn't mean that it's false. It means that as a method, your method is garbage for reliably getting to the truth. It is no better than a coin toss, which is why I asked for someone to demonstrate that it would be. If testimony can lead you here and there, please demonstrate that it's more reliable than a coin toss. Otherwise, your method is no reliable, more reliable than a coin toss. And that doesn't mean it's a path that should be used to truth. Are we going to flip a coin on whether or not I'm guilty of murder, whether or not Randall's guilty of murder? I, I make no bones about the fact that I'm a huge fan of Hume, and I will end with the two, two, two other things from Hume. One is to proportion your confidence to the evidence that the strength of your conviction for a proposition should be proportional to the evidence in support of it. And the second one, the greatest thing that I think Hume ever taught any of us, is to reject the greater miracle. And the important thing here is that if you're presented with two things, hey, I experienced a God, or hey, I experienced something that I am wrongly attributing to God, reject the greater miracle. And Hume does not say, accept the lesser miracle, because Hume knew better than that. But we should at least reject the greater miracle. And between some people got it wrong about God, or God is actually real and is confusing a bunch of people, that's the greater miracle. And so I will continue to consistently reject it, and I will not accept the lesser miracle, until it has sufficient evidence to warrant belief, and currently, it does not. Gotcha. Any final words from anyone else? Uh, um, yeah, I'd like to say that I think it's perfectly possible for there to be evidence of a god or the supernatural. All you need is testable predictions, just like science. If you can give some way to differentiate your imagination from reality, like saying, if supernatural being X exists and I pray to supernatural being, and a gold brick will appear in front of me every time, and that occurs, I'm happy to grant that as evidence of the supernatural. All you need is testable predictions, just like anything else in science or any other belief. But I think that theism hasn't presented any. So I don't think there's any reason to believe in theism any more so than any other belief that has no predictions. Gotcha. Randall, if you want to say something, then I'll go last. Sure. Uh, so at the very beginning of his comments, Matt said, belief in dog is mundane, belief in God is not mundane. And that's a nice sort of capsule summary of what I'd want to say in response to Matt. So as I've argued, actually for the vast majority of people on earth, God is not extraordinary. It is in that sense mundane. And in, by the same token, a dog could, relative to a particular group, be an extraordinary claim. If a person or a community had no experience of four-legged animals, they only knew about snakes and, and lizards, uh, then maybe to talk about something like a dog would sound pretty extraordinary. 
And that gets us back to the topic of debate, which was, is there sufficient reason? Now, Matt, um, I think the way that Matt is interpreting this maybe is different than the way I'm interpreting it. So sufficient reason can be both sufficient grounds, such as a properly basic experience, and also a discursive process of reasoning. So I argued the first, and Sam argued the, the, the second point. Now, Tom, I accused him of scientism. He pushed back on that. But I think, again, in his final comments, he kind of comes back to it. So he, he says, well, what would you need to believe in God? You'd need testable predictions, just like anything else in science. And I think right there, what he's doing is imposing a particular epistemic standard as the requirement, testable predictions for belief in God. And that is something that comes from science. I think that's an example of scientism. And again, uh, the question would be, what's his epistemic basis for accepting the principle itself as an absolute principle? So how do you develop testable predictions to support the principle? Uh, my last word is to say, I really enjoyed talking with you guys. It got heated, but in the best possible way, and it was a lot of fun. So thanks a lot for, for participating in this. You betcha. And yeah, I, uh, I, I just want to close by saying that uh, I'm really grateful to be able to uh, you know, team up with Randall and discuss with Tom, uh, someone who I've discussed many, many times, and especially to, to discuss with Matt. And uh, I look forward to continue discussing with him, hopefully uh, somewhere closer to home, Matt. Uh, yeah, maybe even in Malaysia. Yeah. Sorry, you said? Maybe even in Malaysia. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, yeah, hopefully that, that turns out and I really enjoyed this. Let me say in closing that uh, I, I don't want this, this closing statement to, to be a rebuttal to anything that Matt or Tom had said, but uh, essentially when, uh, what, uh, when, when the topic of debate uh, was sent out by email, uh, that is, uh, is there sufficient reasons to believe in God? Randall sent out an email to uh, James confirming and saying that doesn't mean that you know it's rational belief in god is rational uh, and I, and i believe that james replied in all caps yes you are right i think that that was a uh, so that randall was right in the assumption and we worked we framed the debate based on that and based on what james said uh, i have we i've i've tried i've realized that we hold to very different frameworks i'm not a naturalist i don't believe we should be confined to naturalistic frameworks i don't believe that we should, god should be testable uh, in the same way that, you know, physical objects or things and phenomenon are, I think that God is something that is can be very near and very intuitive. Even children, as I mentioned, Deborah Kellerman and Paul Bloom have demonstrated, both of them are illustrated that uh, it's something that we are hardwired towards. So it doesn't take a lot of intellectual effort to believe in God uh, and developmental psychologists are demonstrating that is it rational to, to basically, on the basis of our experiences and the intuitive nearness of God to conclude that God exists? I would think so, in the absence of any defeaters. What would be interesting is, uh, I mean, I think that Matt brought out three or four defeaters at the end of it. I'm not going to respond to him because he will not get a chance to respond back. Uh, but uh, what I would say is that, uh, uh, but then again, I have, with regards to conflicting revelation I've mentioned, we can take what all these religious experiences have in common. But uh, in conclusion, I just want to say that uh, it's something that is near. You can basically suppress that and say it's not there because ultimately what we believe is that God is a person. It's someone you can relate to. That implies personhood in some way. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this would lead, this is not a conclusive discussion, but I've really enjoyed my time discussing with all of you. Thanks for that. Gotcha. Thanks for that. And appreciate, we have just a couple of last super chats. Thanks, 
Luminiferous Ethan, thanks for your super chat. This came in late. They said, thanks to all participants. Stay healthy and safe. We had Brian Stevens who said, tons of children believe in Santa. Is the claim of Santa no longer an extraordinary claim? I think this is just regarding the uh, idea that tons of people believe in God or find it intuitive. If you have Wait, anything I, on that. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, show me one person. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about, show me one person, and someone who is mature especially, uh, who actually believes and says, I believe that Santa Claus actually exists. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't. Show me someone. Show me a clip. Is there a literature out there? Is there? I believe Santa Claus exists. Okay, and, and I think, I think, since you have never told me this, Tom, there's every, I, I suspect you have deceit on that one. Okay, so, uh, but yeah, in the absence of any evidence of deceit, we should trust it. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the obvious point is, well, the first point is that there's a clear disanalogy there that the vast majority of adults on earth do not believe in Santa Claus. And actually relative to children, yes, children are rational to believe in Santa Claus. They're not irrational, even though it's a false belief. You can have all sorts of rational false beliefs. Gotcha. And thanks so much. Adam Elbilia, appreciate your super chat. They said, Dr. Randall, you are a reasonable, reasonable person. I repeat, you are totally reasonable. It's just that your position on God is ridiculously detached from reality. We've got a critic out there. Uh, if you want to respond, you can. If you don't want to, I'd, no problem. And uh, do want to say, I think we had one more from Adam. Thanks for your super chat from Adam. Said, for Tom Jump and Matt Dillahunty, they said, their combined appearance is as close as we would ever get to Jesus' second coming. So you apparently have a huge, a super fan out there. So, do want to say we really appreciate everybody being here. We hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Thanks to, so much for the speakers uh, for spending their time with us. And as mentioned one last time, they are linked to the description if you'd like to hear more from them. So keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Everybody take care. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.